Welcome home, friend, to Sober Shares, Episode 3. This podcast will focus on alcohol recovery stories via the real-life experiences of our guests. We will paint a vivid picture of their adventures in a way which will make you feel like you have a front-row seat to recovery. These deep-dive talks are guaranteed to inspire and entertain you. My name is Michael, and I'm an alcoholic. I have been sober since October the 10th of 2000. I want you to know I am a sober member of the world's largest 12-step program. Sober Shares podcast is in no way affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous. We do not speak for AA or have any association with them. We speak only for ourselves and have no interest in outside issues. Sober Shares is not affiliated with any politics, organization, or institution. We will be self-supporting via contributions made by you, the listener. You can make a donation to support us by clicking the PayPal link on our website, www.sobershares.com. Any money collected will go to offset our operating expenses. This is not a for-profit venture. Our only aim is to provide you with a great podcast on recovery. Any money you send us will be used to improve the podcast and cover our monthly expenses. The podcast will archive individuals who have been through the challenges and trials of alcohol addiction and have come out the other side sober and free. We hope to be of great service to the world when it comes to documenting recovery stories from the disease of alcoholism. We are broadcasting to you from Dallas, Texas, in the United States of America. I'm glad you are here and hope you find what you are looking for. My great aspiration is that you are enriched by Sober Shares and want to bless others by clicking the subscribe, share, or review button on your listening device. And now it's time to meet our guest for this episode of Sober Shares. I'm going to turn it over to him so that he can introduce himself and give his name and sobriety date if he chooses to. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Michael, for having me on this uh, podcast. I think it's awesome what you're doing here for uh, Sober Shares. So my name is GP Terrio the Fourth, and my sobriety date is 6-20-2011. Okay, wait. Happy birthday. That's excellent. So you just recently celebrated 10 years of recovery? Man, I did. 10 years. And man, am I grateful. I can't believe that I've actually been sober for 10 years. That's excellent. Congratulations. I'm so glad you're here. I I always wanted you to be one of my first guests when I started imagining this this podcast. And so I'm glad that uh, my my visions came to reality. So I'm super excited that you're here. Well, it's definitely an honor. And and you know how I feel about you. You're one of my favorites, too. So to be here is, is a is a cool thing for sure. Okay. I appreciate it. So I was doing a little praying and meditating the last couple of days and, and I don't know why, but somehow I got this little message that uh, at the beginning of episode number three, we would cover uh, what is commonly referred to in the uh, program of Alcoholics Anonymous as the promises. And I'm going to have GP read those to you. And we're just going to say a couple of things about them very quickly after he reads the promises. And uh, we'll go a little deeper on that and then we'll get right into his story. So GP, why don't you go ahead and read the promises for us? Yeah, thanks so much. So the promises, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things 
and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Okay. I appreciate that. I just wanted to throw that out there as a lifeline to hope to any listeners that are new to recovery or new to the program. Most of the groups that you visit around the world will have those uh, in the form of a sign hanging somewhere within the club. So you can kind of glance up at them during the meetings and find them um, on the wall. And you can also find them in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I just felt like we should cover those quickly before we got started today. So we could hit them with a little uh, really good, good benefits of the program right up front. So let's slide into GP's story and have him tell us a little bit about his childhood years, where he was born and what did his family look like when he was coming up? Yeah, thanks, man. So I was born here in Dallas, Texas, born and raised. And one of the names or one of the questions I always get is, so what does GP stand for? And uh, it's George Prescott Terrio IV. And so, uh, and I've got a son, which we we can talk later, but that's the fifth and it's pretty awesome. It's, it's special, but you know, my last name, Terrio, it's a good Louisiana name. And so I like to throw that in because us Louisiana people, uh, I think there's only one thing we know how to do is, and that's, that's to drink. And uh, so my grandfather was born in uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, grew up in New Orleans and uh, moved to Texas in his, in his twenties. And so hence uh, born here in, in Dallas. And so what's really cool is the house that I grew up in is the house that I'm actually raising my, my family in right now. I, wow. I, I'm third generation. So got a lot of, um, deep roots here in Dallas. Dallas is a special place for me. So as a kid, you know, we grew up, um, we, we weren't, you know, I, I really had a great life. I did, you know, it wasn't like, it's not going to be one of these stories where I was thrown out of the house or thrown in jail. You know, I was, I was, you know, brought up in a, in, in a strict household, which, you know, I'm grateful for because it's gotten me to where I am now, you know, with the discipline I have. But uh, yeah, as a kid, you know, I, I grew up, I, I, I grew up pretty fast. I was one of those kids that was a big kid, you know, especially around third grade. Like I was that big kid that you kind of see in the, uh, growing up. And, and with that, I kind of filled in that image of kind of being a bully, you know, and, and really, you know, this program, it showed me going back and, and realizing, man, I was, I was a punk, you know, I, I know my friends lived or were my friends because I think they were friends in fear mm-hmm. of me. And, you know, that, that was hard to, you know, going back to them as I went through this program to, to make men's and I'm sure we'll get through that later on. So, but besides that, you know, I grew up as a very competitive, I was, um, I was an athlete. So I was one of those that kind of just caught on things really fast. And I, I got started in things at an early age in sports. So I was very competitive, um, and I didn't like to lose. So hence where the bulliness, you know, if we're on the playground and we're playing football or whatever, and I get scored on, I, you know, I'd, I'd look at them and say, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. And the kids would be like, okay, we didn't. Cause they get scared of me. Right. And the reason why is cause I mean, my dad started me in athletics, but also in kind of, you know, nowadays it'd be known as like the mixed martial arts, right? Back then it wasn't, uh, I was, you know, I'm 
I'm 46 years old. I had to look that up before we got online. I was like, how old am I nowadays? So I was born in 74, just kind of give you an idea. Yeah. Were you born in Baylor Hospital? Like, Man, I was. That's right. You were, you, I, I was born in Baylor good, Hospital. Good, good. That's Nancy, my last guest on episode two, was born in a hospital. Your host, Michael, was born in Baylor Hospital. And now GP's born in Baylor Hospital. We should get them to sponsor this program. And, and what's really <laughs> cool is all three of my kids oh, really? were born in Baylor Hospital, too. Seriously? Yeah. So Wow. We should get t-shirts made. I know. Baylor's <laughs> a special place, huh? Yeah. But um, yeah, going back, so, you know, started sports at a young age and I was just kind of that kid that just kind of stood out, you know, from soccer to you name it. But I will tell you that um, my dad, because he knew about the temper. Yes, back then. I mean, I was that kid that I got licks, you know, I got, I got, and I, I know we can't do that today, but, uh, mm-hmm. but I did. And it, the, the principal licks didn't scare me as much as, you know, coming home and having to face my, my dad's. But mm-hmm. uh, with that said, um, he found a, um, a, 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 a master in Taekwondo mm-hmm. from Korea, South Korea. And he had just opened up this new studio. My dad actually was in the restaurant business. He owned a bunch, he owned a restaurant here in Dallas, Texas. You might know it. I know you grew up here called Magoo's. Okay. And Magoo's was a hot, hot spot back in the eighties. I mean, it was the place to be open seven days a week till 2 AM in the morning. It was a restaurant and then turned into a bar at night with the DJ. It was crazy. Obviously I was a little kid and I thought it was cool when I'd get to go help and like clean the, the dishes or clean the, the glasses behind the bar as a little kid, you know, during the day. But with that said, there was this karate dojo that opened up right around the corner and master KBM. I was his first like young student. And gosh, I started, I think when I was, this was probably around eight or yeah, eight years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember cause I wanted to play football so bad, like tackle football. And my dad just, he wouldn't let me until he's like, I got my black belt in Taekwondo. So I did that and I got my black belt when I was, oh gosh, I was 12 years old or maybe 11 years old and um, got that. I entered all the tournaments. And then during that, he also got me into wrestling. But going back to the Taekwondo, what I want to share is that my master really helped me control my temper. And because I had a hot temper, you know, hence with the bullying and something I'm not proud of. But again, as, as we read these promises, you know, that's a good thing that I can acknowledge today, knowing that. Um, so with that, you know, with the sports, I, I was very fortunate of really being competitive. Um, and, you know, one of the big things, though, as, as I grew up in, in is I always lived in fear. And I've realized this, the fear of, of disappointing others, you know, especially my father, my parents, disappointing my teammates, whatever it might be. And, and so I, I've lived in fear a long time, Michael. Mm-hmm. And this program has helped me overcome that fear. Um, Can we talk about that real quick? I'm just writing a question down, a follow-up question I want to hit you with. So I'll just hit you with it now. Have you done any work on recovery uh, in dealing with that anger? And what, what tools have you have you used? Have you made any progress in, in that area? Man, I've made, I've made huge progress. Um, you know, I, I would go through counseling. I mean, I was going through counseling even at a kid, at, at, at a young age because of the, the fear. And so, you know, as I got older as a teenager, you know, my parents didn't know anything. So I was real short with my parents. Um, and so we thought, you know, was it a, you know, attention disorder, ADD, what could be, you know, went through, through all that type of counseling. And, and it, it helped over time, I think. Um, but really what has saved me in the fear is obviously this program, um, you know, the, the, the 12-step program. Um, you know, it's a daily, daily routine. You know, I've learned, I've learned tools here where I start my morning off 
every morning by, you know, getting silent, meditating and, and just opening it, asking for uh, my higher power, which I call my God um, for direction every day. And what's great is because of this program, you know, I have such powerful people in my life that I can turn to if something's going wrong, where I can pick up the phone and just be honest and tell them, look, I need help. I'm not, I'm not having a good day. And man, I used to not do that. I was that guy, like that would, uh, that was a sign of weakness and, you know, growing up, you know, in the sports and, and, and from, you know, we'll get into like how I was in the military, all that, that, uh, you know, as a leader, I, to me, I, I, I was, you said a warrior earlier or as before we get on here, you, you've got this really cool thing. I wish they could see this, this warrior looking dragon. And, um, but I've always lived by that as a warrior. Like I, I will never show weakness and, but that just built up into fear. You know, fear is such a powerful word, I think. And whenever I, I call my sponsor, you know, it always comes back to is you're living in fear, man. It's bottom line. So yes, it's, it's, it's amazing where I am today of just because I have the tools, I have a, a process of what I do to handle the fear. Right on. That's awesome. So I've got a question for you. Any brothers or sisters or your only child? Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a, so I'm the oldest and I've got a younger brother and a younger sister. Um, we're all two years apart. So, um, which is awesome. So we all live here in, in, uh, in Dallas, all about five minutes apart from each other. So we all have three kids. So there's cousins. I mean, we were just together this past weekend and it's, and, and I'm so grateful for that, but I guarantee you if I haven't been, if I wasn't sober, I wouldn't have that uh, luxury of being with the, my, uh, siblings and their, their kiddos. That's, that's beautiful. It's beautiful that your family's coming back together and you guys are able to hang out in a cool way. Um, how, how uh, old were you when you first became aware, al- aware of alcohol and what did, what did you think about it? When you were first exposed to alcohol, were there people drinking in your house or did you see it on TV? And what were your first thoughts about alcohol when you came aware of it? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, as a kid, we were just, it was always, drinking was always around me and, and not in like a bad way. Like, I mean, we would take the road trips. Like my dad had this van. He was so proud of this van, those big old vans, uh, right? For the road conver- trips. The conversion vans. Oh man. Yeah. This thing was awesome. This is back in the day when you just put the back seat down into a bed and Do you we remember would, the name of the conversion company. Was it Trey tech or oh, good time? It might've been Trey tech, man. It was a slight, it was one of those like 18 type vans. Yeah, you know what I mean? We had those two. We had those two. We yeah. had like three of them every three or four years. My dad would get Oh, them. it was great for road trips. I don't understand why people just don't have those still anymore you know they're expensive they still make them they're just very expensive okay okay well well anyway i remember you know we'd have the cooler and my dad driving you know back then it was like hey as he was getting closer you know to our destination it wasn't like he was drinking the uh the whole time on the road trip but you know he'd hey get me a cold you know a beer out of the cooler i'd open as a kid and yeah. I'd have a sip, you know, every I was like, dad, can I have a sip? And, yeah. and it was one of those things, like, I thought it was cool. Cause that's, you know, my dad was drinking it. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of the first phase, but it really, that never played the factor. It, you know, my first time really drinking was, was in high school, but again, I was such an athlete dedicated, you know, I was, I, I played, uh, all the sports from, uh, football. I was the quarterback on the football team mm-hmm. to uh, baseball, uh, I even swam and, and I was a big wrestler too. I wrestled growing up all the way up till high school and my high school didn't have wrestling. And I had an opportunity to go to another high school, actually St. Mark's, mm-hmm. the all boys school. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so my wrestling buddy growing up was AJ Ortega mm-hmm. and uh, his dad, coach Ortega was the head coach at uh, St. Mark's at the time. And, and he really wanted me to come to St. Mark's. And I remember my dad coming to me and I was like, 
and it's an all boys school, which that really wasn't the factor. It was the fact that it, I know it was a really hard preparatory school. I was yeah. afraid that probably flunk out. So, <laughs> and two, I, I really didn't want to leave my friends that I'd grown up with. So I ended up going to Woodrow, uh, Woodrow Wilson High School here in Dallas and they didn't have a wrestling program. So that was the end of my wrestling career, but I pursued with, uh, you know, football and baseball and baseball was my big sport. I mean, I was determined that I was going to play baseball in, uh, in college, uh, division one school. And and I know I'm kind of going off track, but this will kind of set the, you know, about my first drink, really my first drink. So all the way up to, you know, I drank here and there, nothing like crazy in high school. Um, up till my senior year, you know, after football season, but I, I got to share this story with you. You know, I was a senior in high school and, you know, I, I thought I'd be playing baseball at, at a division one college. Um, I was a pitcher through hard and, uh, how hard did you throw? Give me a number. I, I threw right around 88. Ooh. Yeah. 88. I had two pitches, 88. And this was, you know, and, um, I had a good change up. Okay, where were your two? Was it a fastball and a changeup? Fastball change and changeup. This changeup though was just nasty. It was, those, it was, I don't know a lot about baseball, but let me ask you a question: Are, are those different finger positions on the yep. ball, or the same finger nope, position? Nope. Fastball is a four seam fastball thrower, uh-huh. and then I threw this. Uh, it was almost like a changeup that I, I sucked back in my hmm. back in my palm, and just the way I'd come down on it, the release point was the key, and it would just drop. I don't know the definition of a changeup. Can you tell us what a changeup pitch does? All it is, is, you know, people think I'm just throwing the fastball. So it, it's the same exact motion as a fastball, the release point, but the way how I held it, it looks like it's coming as a fastball, but uh-huh. it's just an off speed. So it just throws the batters off. So they swing at it before it even gets exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah. And then you laugh. Oh yeah. Yeah. When it's on, man, it was, it was funny. My brother actually what was cool as my brother was a catcher. He was the catcher for oh, me. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so cool. And so he would always just like, it's coming. Like, cause it was, yeah. it was funny. He'd kind of, we had a good time. And, um, but, but you know, our big rivalry high school, it was for a, a playoff game. And I had, uh, the bases were loaded. I mean, this is what we live for, right? Bases loaded, two outs, if I walk in or if they get a hit, you know, they could tie it up when, when the game, whatever it might be. Well, three and two is the count. So three balls and two strikes and the big pitch, I get the sign new, my brother, my brother was catching again and he was an outstanding catcher, by the way. Um, he's like, bring the heat. This is what we've lived for. This is what we've waited for. This is what we grew up, you know, throwing the ball to, to one another and uh, brought the heat ball four. So the walked in the tying run. And of course the team, the other team is out on the dugout, just heckling me, yelling at me. And our coach is coming out to the mound and I knew he was pulling me. So I'm looking down at this ball, right? I look over at that, uh, our opponent's dugout and I just welded over there, threw it through the ball into the dugout. Not one of my better moments and probably one of the biggest brawls that we've seen in high school baseball. I mean, both benches cleared. I mean, the linebacker from our baseball team or from our football team was the center field. And I mean, he came running in throwing players against the fence. I mean, it was, it was crazy, man. And um, of course I got ejected, kicked out of the game, um, really let my teammates down and I'm embarrassed my parents. And I remember the next day in school, you know, walking through the hallways and everybody's pointing and saying, man, did y'all hear what GP did? And I remember going to, you know, practice after school, and the coach called me in because we still had, you know, games to play, um, brought me in and he said, uh, you're done. And I was like, what do you mean I'm done? He said, you're off the team man. you, you embarrassed the team, the school, the community, and I'm just done. I'm not going to put up with anymore. 
And that was like, man, I, I thought my world was over right then and there. Um, just a hit to the gut, embarrassed to even walk out of that office. Like, what are people going to say? And um, I remember leaving the school that day. And I didn't know what to do. I was just, I was lost. So the one thing I thought of was I'm going to go grab a bottle of scotch out of my parents' liquor cabinet and just go away and just drink. Don't know what it was going to end up to. And I remember I drank that whole bottle. I found, you know, on the train tracks, found a place where nobody could find me sitting on the train tracks. I mean, literally something like from a movie over by White Rock Lake, mm-hmm. you know, that lake. And um, I drank that whole bottle. I mean, to the point where I couldn't even walk. I remember trying to walk down the this hill. I rolled my ankle really bad. So I'm limping walking around the lake and it's crazy because this was kind of my first spiritual experience. I didn't know I was having one, but uh, this guy who used to run the boat docks down there, he's kind of a famous guy. He's passed away now. And I don't even, I can't even remember his name at the, at this time, but um, he was that angel that kind of tapped me on the shoulder. He saw me sitting there kind of just wobbing back and forth. And um, I don't remember exactly what he said, but the fact that he had, gotten, I somehow remembered my, my phone number and he had gotten a hold of my parents and my parents came and got me that day. And, um, but that was kind of the first taste of, you know, when I failed or even w- my successes, it always had turned to the bottle. And so, you know, from that point, I thought my life was done. What am I going to do? No baseball. And here's what's happening, man. God's always working, right? He, he God had another plan for me. And I remember a couple of days later, the counselor at my high school um, wanted to see me and said, hey, here's this scholarship package I think you should fill out for the Army ROTC. Now, I knew nothing about the military. What does ROTC stand for? Man, you were going to ask me that. It's like Reserve Officer Training Course. Oh, I think that's right. There we go. <laughs> Boom. It came back to me. <laughs> okay. My little nephew is getting ready to go in that. He's about to start ninth grade. He's going to be a high schooler, and he's going to go into ROTC. He wants to be a pilot, um, oh. but I didn't know what it stood yeah, for. Yeah, that's it awesome. To do yeah, with military. It's, it's a Reserve Officer Training. It's either course or cadet, so I, I'll have to double check that. You might want to Google that just to confirm. Put that in the show notes. Don't worry. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> But, um, so yeah, again, I knew absolutely nothing about the military, but I, you know, you see the things like on movies and stuff, right? Uh, Top Gun. Yeah. Well, Top Gun. And back then remember Arnold Schwarzenegger with the, what was it? Commando. That one that I just loved back in the day. Um, it was a bunch of, oh yeah. So many Rambo, you know, all those. That was Sylvester Stallone. I think that did Rambo. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone did Rambo, but again, but it was a leadership role and this counselor really, it's crazy how, um, how, uh, he said that, uh, I just see you, man, you're a leader and I know what happened. Don't let it be chip, but I think this is something you could pursue. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I, so I ended up filling out the application and you had to write these essays and, but I made these like cuts. Right. And the final one was you had to go take this, uh, PT test, the physical training. And, um, I did that fine. Obviously I was in great shape, um, past that. And so the big one was I had to like, do this interview in front of like a board and then uh, on this board was like a full bird colonel. You had like, I think a, a major Lieutenant Colonel, you had like three officers and three high ranked enlisted soldiers, which it was, or, or NCOs, non-commissioned 
officer. So sergeants, mm-hmm. right? A, a, a master sergeant, which is the highest rank, a, a sergeant first class. So I remember I'm sitting out in the kind of waiting room with some other cadets or, or candidates for the um, for this scholarship. And most of these people come from a military background. Mm-hmm. They're all sitting there nervous, like, oh, I'm like third generation. I got to get the scholarship. You know, just really not. I'm just like, man, I have no idea what I'm going into. I was like, all oh, cool. Like, let's let's go do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember going in there and I just, they would try to ask you these challenging off the wall questions. How would you handle situations? And man, I, uh, I was just straightforward, you know, it didn't bother me. They didn't rattle me at all. And next thing I know, after the interview, about uh, three weeks later, I get in the mail that congratulations, you've won uh, the four-year Army ROTC scholarship. Now, what that means, Michael, is that that opened the door to schools across the nation that had the ROTC program. That's massive. It was huge. And I did at the time. And so I was getting stuff from all over from the Northeast, you know, these private schools to some of them would be a full hundred percent ride room and board tuition. Some would just be tuition. And so long story short, um, I grew up, my dad was, a, went to OU university of Oklahoma. So I was kind of, you know, born in, you know, with Boomer sooner in my head and I was planning to go to OU my whole senior year, you know, or that's where I wanted to go. And then a, a last minute change is, uh, this, this major from, um, Louisiana State University. Again, remember, begin the story. Begin the when we started this podcast is Terrio is a good Louisiana name. Mm-hmm. So I started thinking, man, that'd be kind of cool to go back to my roots, right? That's where I'm from, Louisiana. So my dad and I made it a a, a, a senior trip for me, and we went to to visit New Orleans. This was in 1993. So the Final Four for basketball was in uh, New Orleans, and uh, so we went down there. I got to see the. Um, the, the final four championship game. That's when North Carolina played Michigan. Remember the fab five? Yeah. Was that the Kristen Leitner shot? No, no, no. That was Kentucky. This was with North Carolina okay. and uh, Michigan, the fab five. Yeah, I remember the five, five, fab five. Was, was, that Chris the Weber. was that the timeout? The timeout. Game? That's right. Yeah, the timeout. Where he called the timeout. Didn't have more timeouts left. So yeah, I was there live. <laughs> and again, here we are. I'm in New New Orleans, I'm on Bourbon Street and I'm 18 years old and the drinking age still then was 18 in Louisiana. It was the last state. Yeah. And I'm walking down Bourbon Street having a hurricane and just thought, man, this is it. Yeah. You know, and, and okay. uh, you're like, I'm locked and loaded for LSU. Oh my goodness. I haven't, you know, I told dad, my dad, I was like, dad, I haven't been to campus yet, but <laughs> this is where I, this is where I'm going to school. Um, and so, yeah, so we visited the campus, fell in love with it. So it's funny to this day, my dad will say, man, if I would have never taken him on that senior trip, I would have been a sooner and I would have been a sooner. So, uh, yeah, true. but I'm going to LSU, um, and went through on an army ROTC scholarship, and uh, four years, and man, it it was great. And um, I know I've been long-winded. Is there anything you want to ask at yeah, this point? Yeah, no, you're doing awesome. So good. I want to circle back a little bit and go back chronologically a few years to your younger formative years and ask you a question about what were your thoughts on spirituality as a young person when you were growing up? Did you have a church home? Were you Did you believe in God? Did you think he was some kind of magic sky daddy and there was no such thing as God? What was your What was your spirituality thinking as a young person? Yeah, absolutely. I I totally believed in God. Um, we were, we were, you know, we, we went to church, you know, mainly just to, to check the, the block, you know, look like that family that went to church, but never <laughs> really dived into the word. Um, you know, we, we were the family where we'd say our prayers at the dinner table, um, go to church. I was baptized. Um, uh, I was baptized Methodist at Highland Park Methodist. Me too. Okay. Highland, I mean, look, Park United, Highland Park United Methodist. I was baptized there. Yep. 
Yep. That's on the SMU campus, by the way, listeners, Southern Methodist University. Yep. It's, 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 it's where uh, George Bush goes to, to, to church there. That's awesome. So let me ask you a question about uh, your first drink. Do you remember your first drink? I believe earlier you mentioned it was around the high school age. I mean, you took some sips here and there with your dad back and forth, but you said, uh, I believe you said your first drinks were in high school. What did alcohol do for you? And, and how old were you about when you started? Yeah. Did, did, I mean, I had the drinks, you know, I, my freshman year, you know, I had a, a beer, you know, I thought I was really cool my freshman year because the, uh, the drill team captain, asked me to her <laughs> senior prom. So, you know, as a freshman, so I thought I was just this rock star. You were a rock star. Yeah. That's big, dude. Yeah, it was don't, big. Don't play that, she, she was, But she was a goody-goody girl, which was a good thing. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> we, we had, we went uh, that, and she wasn't even a drinker, so it wasn't like it was there. I mean, I had my drink, but it was just, really my first real drink was, I mean, it was probably my sophomore year, you know, the typical party, and, and man, I... I didn't like the taste, but I liked the kind of the feeling it gave me and it was fun. Right. Yeah. Then it was fun. Yeah. It, it was cool, man. That's what we did. And, but I wasn't like, it, it didn't get out of hand. Um, and then my junior year, the drinking definitely, it, it picked up, but I, I, you know, I never did drugs in high school. I never saw drugs in high school, you know, which is crazy. I went to a public school. It's just because it's probably who I hung out with. I mean, it was always athletes. Mm -hmm. And so we just, we didn't do drugs. And so it was really just the alcohol, but it, the alcohol didn't really got in, especially during football season. We were so focused and disciplined about that. But I will say my junior year, the summer, the summer going into my senior year, I think I threw the biggest keg party <laughs> known at my house because my parents were out of town. <laughs> we got a keg and I was more, I've always been an entertainer, man. I like to, I like to entertain people. Right. So I want to, you know, yeah. had a great party. I even had a door, man, I was already thinking ahead. Like I had a doorman, you know, big old, you know, big old, my big old offensive lineman. They ran the door. We were collecting money. Hey, $5 if you want to get in. And, um, next thing you know, uh, a rivalry high school heard about the party came over the dorm and they weren't going to let them in. And, um, uh -oh. we had a big brawl on my front lawn. Of course, here, here's what's crazy though, man, that got all cleared out. And man, I got away. From, I thought I got away from that party, not getting in trouble. Yeah. It, three months had passed. And then my, my dad finally approached me. I guess a parent had, they were at some kind of dinner and, and somehow it was brought up. And my dad asked me straight in the eyes, like, I want you to be honest with me. Did you have this beer keg party at our house while we were out of town. And I knew right there, man, I just, I couldn't lie to him because he knew he, he already knew. And so I, um, I told him I did. And, and we were supposed to be in the process of getting a ski boat and that through that, I was like, that ski boat is no longer going to happen. Yeah. So, but wow. that was consequences. Kind of, Those are consequences early in your life from, uh, from being involved with alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but that was kind of the first taste of though, like, man, this was, that was still, a kick-ass party part. I don't know if we can cuss on this or not. You can, well, it's, it sounds legendary to me. That, that rolls, that rolls right into my next question. How did you secure alcohol as a minor? I want you to answer that in a general way, but then I want you to specifically answer the question. How did you secure alcohol as a minor? As in, how did you get that keg for that keg party? How did you do that? Yeah. So when I, again, I remember I was a freshman and a, a, a good dear friend of mine that was kind of like my big brother. He was a senior uh -huh. when I was a freshman. So he would always come pick me up every day I got, to, he had this yellow bug, the bug convertible bug. Yeah. And I just thought we were the coolest cats. Yeah. And so long story short, as he got into college, my junior year, I got his ID. 
mm-hmm. when he was 21 nice. at that point. And so I had his ID. So I was the, I was the guy with the ID. And yeah. so I was able to go pretty much anywhere and, yeah. and, and, and get the beer if we needed to. I remember back in the day, you had to memorize all his information. Oh right? man, I, I had do it you still down. Remember his birth. You don't have to give the information, but do you still remember his birthday and his address? Oh, God. And his I, I remember the address cause that house is still there, but what was the birthday? Yeah. Uh, it was, well, I was 74. So take, do the math, right? Yeah. They always would ask you if you had a fake ID back in the day, you'd try to get into a club and the bouncers would take your ID, look at you and be like, when were you born? Yep. What's your address? Oh yeah. What color your eyes? How tall are you? hundred percent. Then they'd flip it over and see it was backwards and they would be like, get out of here. <laughs> Here's a funny story with that. So I was on a ski trip with him and I had his ID yeah. and they took my ID and they were questioning him and he was the older guy. <laughs> <laughs> Like uh, but yeah, so I mean, I was kind of that kid, you know, and man, you, you know me, I'm always like, I, I'm a problem. So I, I find ways to get stuff done. Yeah. And I did back then, you know, just like, give me, give me an, a situation and let's figure it out. Totally resourceful. When did you start drinking on a regular basis? Is that when you kind of rolled into LSU? It kind yeah. of started to crank up there. That's when it all went down the hill, man, because it, I, I remember when I arrived at LSU and uh, the drinking age was still 18. So it was like, you know, I mean, I literally, there they have Circle K's. Like we have 7-Elevens here. Convenience and, and, stores. And, yeah, convenience stores. Mm-hmm. And not only at the Circle K convenience stores did they sell beer, but they also sold liquor right there. Dang. And so, so I remember... I, it was crazy. Like, you know, you do that kind of segmentation, like, yeah, I'll, I'll take the, the, you know, that fifth of bourbon mm-hmm. and, um, kind of hesitant and boom, there you go. Let me see your ID. You're 18. Yep. Have yeah. fun. And that was kind of the, that was the beginning of, of just a blur. I mean, I'll be honest with you. If I didn't, if I wasn't on my army ROTC scholarship, I would have flunked out of school because I had to be up three days a week in formation for PT Monday, Wednesday, and Friday uh, at six in the morning. And if you missed a certain amount of formations and you, you lose scholarship and you also had to keep it three point. So again, you know, talking about how resourceful I'm a doer, I'll, I'll, I'll find a way to get it done. I've, kept my grades, you know, and, and, um, I owe the, the formation because back then I was at an age where still in shape, I could go still drunk and we get in formation. We go run three to five miles. I sweat it out and man, I'm good to go. Right. You know, how did alcohol help you during the early days of your drinking? How was it like a, a catalyst to, to your life? Well, so I, I you know, I, I did the whole college experience, meaning I, I joined a fraternity. And so I actually lived in the fraternity house three out of my four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was that oldest guy in the house my senior year and um, loved it. But it was just, it was fun at the time. I mean, yeah, we had, I had certain instances, but nothing like crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, my four years was a blur. I wish I knew now, like I, I missed out on so many just opportunities to take advantage of when you're at a big university like that, you know, meaning being involved with student government or even, you know, I have so much respect when I hear these kids that are at college that are real involved in the, um, the fellowship of, you know, of, um, like, what am I trying to say? Like of the church side, mm-hmm. I don't know what, what, what you call that where, you know, they're real involved, just, they've already found God, you know, you're, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like, 
Oh gosh. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. There's just a lot of opportunities. I feel like, I mean, not specifically what you're trying to say, but I, I feel like I'm 50 years old and I feel like I have a lot of the same exact feelings that you have. Yes. I graduated college. Yes. I drank heavily during college. And now that I'm 50 years old and I look back on my experiences at Bradford college in Haverhill, Massachusetts, I feel like that you use the term that it was a blur. And I feel like that I'm in the same boat on a lot of different levels with my memories of college. And I feel like that I did not take full advantage of everything that they had to offer because a lot of times I would prefer to be in a diminished state via alcohol and marijuana. And so do I have some regrets about being drunk and high during college? Yes, I do have some drunk, uh, some, some regrets about being drunk and high during college. I had a lot of fun in college and alcohol and drugs at the time were working for me and it helped a lot. But yeah, guess what? It also cheated me of hanging around certain type of people that weren't into that and looked down on me for, for that, you know, because it was known that I was a drinker and a partier. And I'm sure some people chose not to associate with me in college because I was known for that. And I feel like I kind of uh, possibly missed out on a lot of cool things that, that Bradford College had to offer me because I was in my addiction. 100%. Yeah. 100%. There's, I mean, like... Even being like a, a, a equipment manager, like for the football team, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I tell people is I would have been a really good cheerleader. <laughs> and I had a buddy that did it. He was a cheerleader at Ole Miss. And he said that was the best time. And he was a big athlete. And uh -huh. um, he said it was just awesome. But just things like that, you know, um, uh, 100%. But at the time, though, again, you know, that's all we did. You know, fraternity was like, you know, we had a party every weekend. Yeah. And, you know, we'd, we'd have a date to the football games. We always took a date. We had these party cups. Our dates would make these huge, I mean, like 30, these huge mugs. Yeah. And we called them our party cups. And we put, you know, and honestly, my four years there, I don't think I remember any of the football games. I mean, I was there, yeah. but I don't remember them because we'd been drinking all day, you yeah. know? And, and it's just, again, it was like, gosh, if I knew now just to take advantage of, and even like the classes, you yeah. know, I would, I would, I was that guy, we would cram study the 24 hours, you know, and, and mm -hmm. not remember anything after the test. Like it was all crammed at the, to take the test. And then, yeah, but um, I can't go back and change the past, but I do have a few uh, minor regrets about not taking full advantage of everything that was offered to me. Yeah. So if you're a listener out there, there's really nothing that we're going to say that's going to make you do anything, but you're listening to two guys that drink and well, in my case, I drank and drug my way through, through uh, college and he drank his way through college. And we uh, both have a few regrets about missing some stuff that the school had to offer us. You, you know, in the drug part too, you know, pot was around in, in college, but pot just wasn't my thing, man. Really? I just, I didn't like being a, I didn't like to be the downer feeling. Like it just made me feel. And so, cause I'm always full of energy. Like I need something. Hence yeah. as we as, later in my career, you know, I did turn to drugs to uh, yeah. the powder. And yeah. so, you know, we can talk about that later. Oh, I loved, I loved marijuana enough for the both of us. Okay, good, good. <laughs> there you go. I loved it doubly as much. So let's uh, slide, slide uh, gears here, change gears a little bit and move forward. Did you ever try to control your drinking after you discovered that it might be a problem? And if so, what techniques did you use? Oh yeah, man. Absolutely. You know, the fact that, um, if I knew, see, I could just drink two beers and, and go to bed. But, uh, the biggest thing was I would, um, you know, we might be getting ahead, but during my drinking, especially when it was getting to be a known factor, like I had a problem, um, that I would literally, uh, I would buy that non-alcoholic beer. Mm-hmm. 
and to show people like, oh, I'm not drinking now. And I would pour it out and pour beer in there because they had the twisted oh tops. Oh my God. Dude. Yeah. I have never, ever heard anybody say that. Yeah. You would buy the non-alcoholic beer, pour out the NA beer, and then you would put real beer in that thing. And drink. <laughs> yes. That is ghetto, dude. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I so, love that. And it, a funny story on that. And we got ahead because I do want to share my military um, career, but I was, you know, after the military um, back, this is during my drinking, you know, when I was supposed to be quitting and all that and white knuckling it. And, yeah. and we were at a tailgate at LSU. Yeah. And so, I mean, I got up early, took the time to go. I mean, I had to go park around I me. Mean, I did all this. I was prepared, ready for this tailgate. Cause I wasn't drinking then. Yeah. And a good buddy of mine's wife was pregnant uh-huh. at the tailgate. And I remember she's like, Oh yeah, GP's got some non-alcoholic oh. beer. And I just went, Oh crap. But I was like, I'm sorry, but I already drank them all. So I totally, but man, that was kind of a, that was a scary eye opener. Cause I mean, a pregnant lady actually drinking real beer. So I uh, would have done anything to her, but still that was, that was like a, Oh no. You're like, Oh no, my, my yeah. secret is about to be out. So can you paint a picture for our listeners about, uh, some instances or examples mm-hmm. or time frames when you or people around you started to think that you might have a problem with alcohol? When, when chronologically did that happen? And what did that look like? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, is what I got out of the army and came back here. And so, you know, real quick, let's rewind real fast, just so you know. So when I graduated from Louisiana state university, mm-hmm. I got commissioned the next day as a second lieutenant. So I did four years of active duty in the, in the U S army. Congratulations. Thank you for your service. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky on first airborne. Now being an officer in the army, it, it can sometimes get lonely because you can't just go out and drink with your soldiers. Like as a, as a platoon leader, I was in charge of uh, 32 soldiers and, and, um, and, you know, and that's where the drinking really, especially on deployments, um, a lot of times or just drinking alone. That's where I really got to start drinking on my own, mm-hmm. you know, just by myself. And, and, and just, it, it was, it, it was scary, like not knowing it was leading to a certain point down the road. And, and so drinking is huge in the military, right? I don't know. Yeah. I've never been in it, but I heard drinking is huge in the military. It is. It is. I've seen the officers club and movies and stuff. Did you drink in the officers? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. You know, it's funny. And, and I I love, so I went to LSU and I kind of, I feel like I got all my, well, I say all my partying and drinking, but I did a lot of it. So I was kind of used to it. You know, a lot of my buddies that were West Point grads, you know, so we were, we were all in the same level. So they went to West Point. I went to LSU, but I had a good time getting my commission as a second lieutenant is what I always kid him about. <laughs> but, uh, man, those guys, I thought I was wild. If you look how my name is spelled, it's spelled like the riot. Uh-huh. And I lived up to that name in college and the military is the riot. At least oh. I thought I did. I'd go out these West point guys. And it's like, they were let out of this cage now. Cause they're no longer at the Academy. Right. And man, we would go out and just get in stupid trouble, get in fights, you know, we're oh. military guys. And, and it was just not, not, not cool. Of course we're officers, but we're, we're still young and, and drinking leads to that, right? Hotheads and the tempers and all that came back. So, yeah. But, um, so, I, so I wanted to share that. So the military, but the military, I was good at it. You know, I, I could have made a good career at it. I was, you know, I got out as a captain. Um, again, you know, I could do a mission when needed to, but the drinking was always there in play. Um, and it was getting worse. You know, it was one of those things like you're not realizing it of why the, all the drinking was happening. And as you, you know, continue this drinking journey, it only got worse 
worse. It was kind of like the floodgates were opening. So what was the, I'm sorry, I lost, I kind of. No, you did, you did great. I'm just kind of wondering when um, chronologically in your life yep. that, that, that you felt like the drinking uh, became an issue for you or a problem for you or something that you need to take a look at. Was it, how did that, yeah. did you come to that realization on your own or did the military come to that realization for you or the police department or your parents? Who, yeah. who and how did that come to the surface uh, that you might have a problem well, with Well, I can tell you when I got the military, um, I, I was away from Dallas for over 10 years and I took a job. I was a logistics transportation officer. So I took a job with the logistics company out in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, went out there again by myself, did a lot of drinking. But the point of sharing that is, again, I've been away from Dallas for almost 10 years. I hated that job. I, I knew, you know, I got the military and enjoyed enjoy the civilian lifestyle. I mean, it was, I was up at the crack of dawn, hungover, taking, you know, didn't know if my workers were showing up or not. They would, you know, flick me off. If they wanted to, you know, cause I left a military structure background. They could do whatever they want. And every phone call I was getting was somebody complaining about a shipment not being there. It, it just sucked. I mean, I was working long hours from, you know, anywhere from seven, six in the morning to, you know, anywhere from seven to, to eight at night. And so I, that was short lived because I looked at the upper management and saw where they were and they weren't happy. Everybody looked miserable. I was like, man, I'm, I'm young. I don't want to do this. So I moved back to, um, I called my parents. I'm coming home. Don't have a job lined up and, and I'm not too, uh, too worried about it. I'm no, and, and I was thinking of going the financial route. You know, I told you my dad had restaurants. He sold those and he had been a financial planner now, gosh, for over 20 years and had a very, very successful good book of business. So I was looking at going that route, mm-hmm. come home, go through a, like a Merrill Lynch or something like that, learn the business and then eventually team up with my dad. Well, my dad, one of his biggest clients, and this was in 2003, uh, owned a mortgage company. Yeah. And so that's how, and he, this owner kind of took me under his wing and taught me the business and man, that movie, the big, all that. So when I got my first check, mm-hmm. when I saw how much money I can make, I was like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. And that's where it just, the, the rails, I mean, the wheels came off because all that money, the partying, the drinking, the blackout. And this is when the blackout started. I mean, I would wake up at mornings, like how did I end up at this place or end up in some just dirty places, man, and not proud of. Right. Mm-hmm. And then obviously when the, the biggest moment when I knew I had a problem was it was a Christmas day night. We always go to this family's house. My brother and we're all in town and then, and then we all go out afterwards and we went to Milo's remember Milo's mm-hmm. over there. Certainly do. And man, I, I had no business being there. I, I had been drinking enough as it was. Mm-hmm. And kind of leaving the the bar, some guys kind of bumped into me. We mouthed off. So as I'm walking out, I go back to them, say, I'm going to take these guys on. It was, it was like three of them, right? Oh. And we go at it. My brother comes to try to break it up. Well, one of the guys has a beer bottle mm-hmm. and just whacks it over my brother's head. Mm-hmm. And it hit a, a, a vein right next to his eye right and blood just i mean spurted out like crazy and where everybody just when they saw that blood everybody just took off like it freaked everybody out and i remember he's there like oh crap and i literally waved down a car this was another spiritual moment this car i waved down she stopped there's blood going on her car she rushes us to the uh, emergency room we get in there she throws us out to this day, still don't know who this person was. Wow. We get in there. He'd lost a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, to the point where it's kind of, luckily they, we got him in in time. They, they, they stitched it and he's fine. But the doctor came and said, if it would have been like an inch closer, he would have lost his eye. Mm-hmm. And that was a moment. It was because of my drinking. And I don't even remember. I mean, I was just, and that was kind of an eye opener. But again, I looked at it as like, oh, it was a consequence. You know, we'll, we'll get through this. And man, it just got worse and worse and, and just points to where I couldn't remember I mean, I drank, I drank to get drunk. I didn't drink just to be a social drinker. I mean, I literally, at that point, was like, I'm getting drunk. I don't know where I'm going to end up tonight, but I don't care. And I would drink again if it was for, you know, if I was in a bad mood, something went wrong that day, or I just made a big sell, we're going to drink. I was drinking no matter what. And it was literally to point, I wasn't the type of guy that was waking up drinking because to me, that was what an alcoholic was. Yeah. So I didn't never consider myself an alcoholic because I was not waking up, pouring me a glass. I was that one because I was too hungover, to be honest. Yeah. And of course, as you know, we have those, oh, I'm not going to drink again. And then of course, when three o'clock hits, it's like, oh man, I'm starting to feel better. Okay, where's happy hour? Mm-hmm. You know, just, it was just constant. And then, you know, my, my wife, who I'm, thank God, married to today, um, you know, we started dating then. She wasn't a big drinker. Uh-huh. And I thought, ah, oh, this is perfect. Yeah. You know, we can, this will offset the balance. She can take care of me, right? She can be our driver and, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. Encourage you to drink less. Yeah. Well, that didn't go off. And it's, it's amazing how she, uh, well, she married me because I agreed that I would stop drinking. Yeah. And so I, I, and I'd already made up my, my mind that I would, uh, I before, said, before you married her, you guys agreed that you would stop drinking. Yep. So yeah, it, was on, I, it was on her radar screen. It was on her radar screen as a negotiation point with you. Yeah. To the point where like, I mean, I was, I started going to meetings then. Okay. Uh, that's my next question is yeah. how long, how long did it take you to get to AA? And, uh, when you ended up, well, when, when did you end up in your first meeting? Yeah. That instance after my brother, I actually tried a meeting cause I woke up in the morning. Like, I mean, I, that was pretty bad, but I was like, and I, I've heard of AA and I was like, do I have a problem? I mean, I really, I, I truly believe that I did not have a problem, yeah. but I was like, you know what? To get everybody off my back. Who's everybody, your wife and who else? Not even my wife then, my family. Like who? My brother, my sister, my parents. Like They were saying things to you like, oh, what, are yeah, you? To the like point, what are you doing? You have a, yeah, they, they've had problems. And you know, it got to the point where my brother, that was just one incidence of many. It, after that, there were other incidents like in the bar, I'd pop off again. My brother, he was done with me. He's like, dude, until you get help or oh, yeah. stop drinking, I just, I can't, I don't know who I'm going out with anymore. Yeah. It's like your, your, your anger issues plus alcohol equals trouble in his mind. A hundred percent. Like he was we scared we, to be your wingman. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and then my me, sister bro. was just, my sister was the first one out of us who got married. She was the youngest one. And, um, she was probably the more mature one out of all of us. And, uh, I mean, she even distanced herself. They all did. Yeah. And they didn't want to be around me if they knew drinking. And that's when the, the dark times and, and yeah, I'd show up at, at family events and, and, you know, it was the point where my mom would ask, please, you know, don't drink, you know? And, wow. and so that's powerful. It is powerful. And, but I just was like, guys, I'm look at me, I'm making money. I'm successful, you know? And, and then when I started going to meetings, um, man, I did not want to be there. I was there for all the wrong reasons. How did you find it? Did you look on the internet? Totally. Internet. Did you, you looked on the internet? I went internet and just typed in AA. Uh-huh. And then what did you do? Call the Dallas Central office? and they No, asked- there was one right by my office. I worked over in Preston Center. Okay. And so they said, who did you call? Did you call that group? I didn't call anybody. I just looked up the address. I found the address. I just saw the time. There's a meeting at 12 o'clock. Okay, cool. I'll go see what this is all about. Really? I literally was, I went there thinking 
they're going to like give me the magic pill or tell me how, you know, I went there, Hey, show me how I can just fix all these, you know, my bad consequences that I've been facing. Right. I went there like, just tell me what to do. Great. Yeah. I'm not drinking, but just show me how to fix this. Right. Okay. So you rolled into your first AA meeting, you sit down and then what happens? To oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> dude. It, it, so it was the old place. And okay. so it's this long hallway. Do you want to say the name of the group or not really? I'm happy to. It was a Preston group. And that's, I mean, that's my home okay. group. Preston group in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. You walk, you come rolling in there. It's the old location. Yeah. It's just, it's yeah. this hallway that, I mean, it's, it's a long walk. And back then you could smoke inside. Mm-hmm. And so that first room was the smoking room. Do you know what you're talking about? Have you so been that disgusting, one? disgusting, yeah. And uh, the, walls were, the walls were yellow from cigarette yellow. smoke. It was just, it was horrible. And all these old crusty and just these like yeah. homeless looking people. And I was like, yeah. I mean, I was like, oh, what is this? And then they had the non-smoking. Yeah, you had to walk through the smoking room to get to the non-smoking room. And so I, <laughs> I go in the non-smoking room yeah. and this is you know, like the person that sits next to me. Yeah. It was a, a, um, a man dressed up as a woman. Okay. And I just was like, this place is a loony farm. Like, wh- where yeah. am I? And, yeah. but I was so emotionally broken down yeah. that when they came to me, I actually broke down and I'm a, I'm a guy that doesn't like to show emotions, pain or crying. You know, if you're crying, that's you're weak. And I remember that one moment and it felt good, I, I guess, to release it. Like, okay, I let it out. I'm good. And I kind of was I was a very casual, just going back and forth to the meetings. Nothing like I, I had my plan. Cause at that point I had been dating and we were in at this point, no, that we weren't dating. This was one of the times kind of in and out. And then when my wife and I, when I got engaged with her, we were just talking and, and she was concerned. She's like, look, I love you, but I want you to be sober. Yeah. And of course I was like, babe, I, I'll be sober. Dude, you know how many people that are listening to this right now can relate to exactly what you're saying? I'm so glad that you're here today and you're just being fully honest. Uh, I want to ask you a question. What did you think about all of the God talk or when you arrived at AA? Uh, For those of you that haven't been to any 12-step meetings, uh, when you get there, there's a lot of signage on the wall. And they actually print the word God and put it on the wall. So I was curious what you thought about that when you saw that. It was actually kind of relieving for me because again, I, I didn't have an issue with God. Um, my problem was I only needed to, uh, went to God when I needed them. You know, the foxhole prayers, you know, like God just mm-hmm. close the still, get me through this or, you know, at the, for the wrong reasons, you know, selfish me, Yeah, you know, Hey, what, what, what can you help me to get out of God? So when I saw it, I was like, all right, that's cool. So like, you know, maybe I can, you know, learn this God thing or that's what they use or just kind of, Hey, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Right. And man, (laughs) there's a whole nother, you know, just the whole spiritual, you know, adventure. I don't want to call it spiritual journey. That's the word spiritual journey Uh through AA by going through the steps. I mean, it was powerful. So, so I mean, the short answer is it did not bother me. If anything it's probably what I needed. Okay. Well, it horrifies some people. It makes I, I, some people happy. It I know makes, it does. Yeah. And yeah. I wasn't that one. Cause I know there's people like, that's the last thing God is, yeah. you know, cause some I mean, really God that. is, God has saved, he saved me out of so many incidences where I should have had DWIs plenty of times. I mean, that's, I, I, that's exactly my next question. I wanted to roll back and, 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 and just ask you, did you ever have any legal consequences during your drinking that you want to talk about? You don't have to answer this question, but did you have any legal consequences, DWIs, assault charges, drunken publics did you have did you ever have any legal issues with your drinking 
luckily, <laughs> luckily not legal, but I will tell you again, that was, I mean, God, was, he was looking over me. Uh, the, the first instance was actually when I was in college, my uh, junior year, I was visiting my brother at Texas A&M mm-hmm. and I was driving and been drinking. We had no business. I had no business to be driving. And, and there were guys in the car. And of course, I go through the campus for the shortcut. Right. Campus cop pulls me over and yep. they're known for like, yep. and I don't know what got me out of it. I just said, look, I'm here visiting. I'm on an army RC scholarship. Yeah, probably I, got you. I did the whole thing. Like, you know, I'm going into the army. Yep. 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 Pleading your case. Yeah. And I was just very cooperative. I mean, there was a cooler beer in the car. I mean, yeah. I thought, and if I would have gotten a dip, I would have lost everything. Oh Michael. I would have lost my scholarship, everything. How terrifying. So somehow I, got off. I have no idea. That was God. I mean, he was like, all right, here's your pass. And another time out of back, you know, I was back in Dallas, you know, in the mortgage industry, I was, it was like three in the morning going down Abrams road. Nobody's on the road. I was probably going 80 miles an hour. I had my little BMW sports car, you know, Mm -hmm. and cop just sitting there pulls right out. Well, I was about a block away from my house and this was in Lakewood. Mm -hmm. And, um, he gets my driver's license. He says, GP Terrio, uh-huh. you played football at Woodrow, didn't you? Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, I did. He's like, you were the quarterback. I was like, yeah. He's like, I remember watching you, man. You you were good. Yeah. He said, you're only a block away. And he pretty much gave me, he said, get home. I'm going to follow you home. Okay. I mean, I was, uh, it, it's crazy, man. So, but the biggest, the biggest moment when my wife was like just on the edge was St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. You know, St. Patrick's Day is the biggest party in Dallas. I call, I call it the one mod- day for Mardi Gras. What year was that about? What year are you talking about? Oh man, let's see. That would have been 2000 and um, probably eight, 2008 or 2009. Okay. And so um, with that said, uh, yeah, so so St. Patrick's, I remember, and I used to love that. I was that guy. I mean, I would go park my car for the parade route at, you know, two in the morning, had the right spot and drink all day. And and I remember down at the lower Greenville in the bars, I'm rolling out. It's probably like eight o'clock or no, no, 10 o'clock probably. And I just tumble, fall right in front of this cop. He was like, yep, you're going to the drunk tank and threw me right into the drunk tank. And I, you know, they took me down to one of those drunk tanks where they take, I don't even know where we went. I mean, we're in this, like they put you in those bands and I, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. And I remember I was there for, gosh, it had to have been, I slept it off. You know, they throw you in, you literally just pass out. But then when you wake up, I think that was the longest six hours in this one big room. And of course, my wife has no idea where I am. She's calling hospitals. She has no clue. Wow. And so it was scary. Again, I, they they gave me a, yeah they gave me a public public some some I got a ticket for that but it was nothing I mean my attorney got me out of it so yeah. um but th- again that should have been an eye opener and it was but again um you know you know my story and I can go when you know the day that she uh, had the courage my wife to finally just just leave me and and that was that was the darkest moment not only for me but for her but you know in the promises it says you know those those dark moments. Was that what you would call your moment of clarity when you just mentioned the, the issue that happened with your wife? Would you call that your moment of clarity the next morning when you woke up type of deal? Yeah. So can you, can you tell the listeners? I know this story, but can you tell the listeners a little if you want to? You, absolutely. You know, yeah. yeah so it was, of all days, it was Father's Day. Okay. And so, you know, I just celebrated 10 years sobriety and that 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 day fell on Father's Day. So, how you know, how cool was that? The, the, the 20th of uh, this year, 2021 was on Father's Day. But uh, yeah, again, you know, 
married at this point. We have two daughters and uh, my oldest is uh, two years old and my other one is uh, 11 months old. And I remember Father's Day, it's my day. So I'm going to go, it was a beautiful day, beautiful Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go meet with my boys. At least I thought they were my boys. I wasn't really going to meet anybody. I just want to go sit on a patio and drink. Right. And drank. And by the time I came home, my wife was just st- standing there on the front doorstep with her bags packed and my two daughters. They had, they had been there waiting for me. My daughters had cooked a cake mm-hmm. and um, just shaking her head. I mean, I remember and I walk up and she had the courage and the faith to, to, to leave me that day. And when she did that, I remember standing there as she's getting in the car. Actually, I go in, see the cake. I bring the cake out and I throw the cake in the yard, you know, just making a big scene. I mean, it's a horror. It's just, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. But, um, it, and I'm yelling like, where are you going to go? You'll be back. You'll be back. Mm-hmm. And I remember that, that next morning waking up for the first time in my life, I was, I was truly scared. Like what? I mean, my business, I, I was saying my business, my, everything was on the, just a spiral. Everything was about to just blow up. Mm-hmm. And I was scared to death. Like I've lost her. I've lost my daughters. And that's that point when I went back to, and I'd been out of AA for three years now. So I'd been in and out and, and I never worked the steps when I was in and out. And for three years, I came back that day. And I remember, uh, who is my sponsor this day going to him and, and, and saying, I'll do whatever it takes. And, and I was all in and he, he looked, he said, are you going to, are you willing to go any links? And I said, yes. Mm-hmm. And I truly meant it that time. Right. And, um, that's when I started working the steps and, and, you know, I, I, that was my spiritual, that was the beginning of my spiritual journey. Cause I remember him telling me that day, he said, remember this day. Cause yeah. in the next 12 months, y- you could have a life beyond your wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's amazing now, you know, with my wife, God love her. She believed in me and, and it took 12 months, you know, to, to build her trust back. And, um, and we did. And, you know, we're, we are so happily married now. We had to have another son and we, uh, in, in February, we celebrated 14 years. Congratulations. Is that right? We got married in 2007. So yeah, 14. Is that 14? Yeah. 14 yeah. years. All right. I got it right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but man, yeah. And we're happy never. It's like we fell in love all over. And, um, but, you know, I, I, I tell people, you know, when I got married, I was living two different lives. I was trying to be that guy that's still one foot in and one foot out, right? I was mm-hmm. still trying to be that social guy like, oh, I got to entertain people. Like my wife, I didn't know this because it's how, you know, with the blinders on is, you know, those happy hours. I said, I got to go do happy hours. I got to entertain, get, you know, clients. Well, those happy hours turned into me rolling in anywhere between two and three o'clock in the morning, blacked out, you know, verbally abusing her, you know, don't even remember what I said. Mm-hmm. I, I never did get physical with her, but I, I tell people it was only a matter of time, mm-hmm. only a matter of time. But I never knew that she literally would sleep with her car keys in the bed because she didn't know who was coming home. So why did she sleep with her car keys in the bed so she could get out of there quickly? Right. Really? Yeah. She wanted to know where they are. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. Well, I want to take a quick break here and I want to make a couple of quick announcements concerning the podcast and then we're going to roll back into GP's story. The next 
question I'm going to answer, ask him after we do this mid-roll read is I want to ask him about his sponsor and how did he get his sponsor? What was he looking for in a sponsor and how did he find one? And we'll get to that question after this. I wanted to let the listeners know uh, that our website, www.sobershares.com is up and running. Our website is going to be our home base for the Sober Shares community. And I'm so excited for you all to see the cool features that have been baked into the website. You can listen to all of our episodes, join our email list, make a financial donation to us by clicking the PayPal link or donate button at the top of the website. This website has been optimized to look great and perform well on mobile as well as desktop computers. You can see all of our show reviews that have been collected from across the internet, and you can send us an email via the contact us page or send one to me directly at mike at sobershares.com. You can also reach out to us on all of our social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram via our website. One of the coolest features is the leave us a voicemail button. It is on the bottom right-hand corner of the site. Just click the blue circle with the picture of the microphone on it. Then all you have to do is record a voicemail for us. My goal is to play some of them back on future episodes. If you leave us a voicemail, you may hear yourself on a future episode of Sober Shares. That's enough information about the SoberShares.com website for now. I'm just so excited, and it's a brand new tool for you to use. It's first class all the way, and it works perfectly, so go check it out. Now, let's turn our attention back to our guest, and I want to ask GP about his sponsor. How did he find one, and what was he looking for in a sponsor? Yeah, so, you know, when I told you when I was in and out those first, you know, when I kind of was feeling out AA, you know, I looked around, of course, I wanted to get to my, ah, who's seems like the cool hipster that I could relate to. Mm -hmm. And usually that's not their out to go, Uh, especially if they don't really have that strong of a program. I mean, I think my first sponsor or my temporary sponsor, I mean, he only had maybe, maybe two years, if that, and was hit or miss. And and it just, he didn't make me work the steps, anything like that. And Mm so um, there was this one particular guy that's kind of that you know when a person walks in a room like he has a presence that everybody just kind of kind of like that lion that walks in (laughs) you know what i mean and just wow and people people listen when he speaks and so i was like man that guy he's got some pretty good stuff so i went up to him and said hey man i want you to sponsor me he's like oh okay where are you going to are you willing to go any links and I was like, yeah, man, sure. You know, he's like, he kind of looks, he's like, you're not ready. I looked at him, what do you mean I'm not ready? He's like, I don't, I don't think you've gotten it out of your system yet. I mean, he just knew, right? This guy's old school. And of course, then I pop off the little attitude. I was like, well, 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 F you, you know? Um, did you say that to him or did you think that? I, I well, I, I know I kind of told, yeah, you I, I told him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Scott will tell you that. And, um, yeah. And he just pissed me off, man, you yeah. know, and that was, I went and that's when I went back out. I was like, man, screw these people. They don't, they don't know it. And, 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 and it had nothing to do with Scott. That was all me. That was kind of my excuse of, I don't need this, you mm-hmm. know, to go back out. So long story short, the story I shared with my wife and all that came back in and well, guess who was there at the meeting that day? Oh, really? Scott was there. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he came up and he knew then he's like, man, you're, I was broken, man. I was so broken. I said, I'll do anything. He knew. And, um, you know, Scott is that. I needed somebody that's just that you can call them the old, you know, just a hard nose, kind of that drill sergeant type, but not that he, I mean, we went through the steps and, and if I wasn't doing it and, you know, he wasn't, 
he wouldn't like check on me because we're all grown adults, but it was more like, you know, I had to check in with him. Right. And so, and that was hard, man. The hardest part is picking up the phone and, and asking for help or just saying, man, I'm hurting. And, and over time, man, it's, it's such a great tool now. You it's know? so hard because people like, I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for myself. I wasn't raised with that mentality where I reached out to, to anyone. It doesn't matter if they were male or female and really told them what was going on with me, what right. I was struggling with. Do you have any advice for me? I never did that, dude. I was raised uh, to pull myself up by my bootstraps, be my own captain, drive my own ship, you know, try harder, don't ever get up, and stuff like that. But when I came into recovery, I realized that, you know, those are okay tools, but they're, they didn't work perfectly every time for me. And as an alcoholic in recovery, I needed to learn how to be honest with another person and kind of just roll into, if they ask me, how are you doing today? I can say, dude, I'm not doing well. Yep. I'm struggling here. I'm struggling here. I'm struggling here. And sometimes that's enough. Just saying those things to another human being and releasing the pressure valves. And then sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes they have to give me some of their feedback or advice on how to handle situations. Um, have you ever been through a period in your sobriety where you sponsored yourself and how did that work out for you? No, no, I always had a sponsor. Um, and like I said, usually the first, I, I, I had two like temporary sponsors, but those were like the cool, the cool kids. I thought, you know, that they weren't into the program either. It was just like, so no, I never really sponsored myself. Um, but what I did want to say is, you know, the hardest part for me is what you just said is, was step one. And the fact that, you know, admitting you're powerless to me, that was like, you're giving up. Yeah. And that's just not how I was brought up. I was yeah. like, I'll, I'll beat this thing to me. That's like, you're, you're waving your white flag. And I was like, no, yeah, we, I'm not trained to do that. No, dude, we, we, we go in and we figured like, I, you know, I told you earlier, like I'm a problem solver. I'm going to figure this out. Right. And that was the hardest part, man. And, um, finally admitting that I was powerless and, and, and having a sponsor to do that. But, um, I mean, did I sponsor myself? I mean, I, I guess Taylor, you could say I, I, I did because those, those sponsors I had, those temporary ones that I had, you know, I wasn't all in. I wasn't serious. Again, it was just going through the motions just to kind of get people off my back. Now, I do want to share this is, you know, when I got married, I, I was sober mm-hmm. and I had made up my mind. I was like, I just got to prove to them or to my wife that I can be sober for 12 months. Yeah. And that was all just discipline, you know, and just I can 12 months, I can do that. And I can tell you after the 12 months hit, I mean, I remember this, I remember exactly where I was. We were in Boston mm-hmm. with my wife and I, uh, we were, we were in Boston and we were going to see a, a Boston Red Sox baseball game. They were playing the New York Yankees. Wow. Big time, big time, big time. And I already made it my mind. like, I am having a beer in Fenway park, <laughs> you know? And I remember sitting in our hotel room, just kind of, Again, I'm in sales, man. I'm a good, you know, like, and she was like, yeah, I mean, you have been doing good. Okay. So just one, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I want to have a beer and a hot dog. And, um, really? and you ran a pastor and she said, you've been being good. Yeah. Things have been going good. And okay. Whoa. You think you're ready? <laughs> yeah. And that's when, that's when the three years went back out for three years. <sighs> and that's when after three years, she had the courage to finally wow. leave me with my two daughters. Yeah. Wow. That is heavy duty. Thank you for sharing that. Um, can you give me, uh, if you have one off the top of your head, can you give me one life highlight from your first year of sobriety? Can you remember anything during your first year that you would call a highlight? 
Man, you know what's funny is th- that darkest moment. I, I think the biggest highlight was um, during that time. My wife was gone. My daughters. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know if um, she was filing for divorce or not. Because I remember my sponsor was like, "You cannot reach out to her. She'll reach out to you when she's ready." Did Man. she ever talk about that and threaten that or mention the D no, word? No. Okay, but you were wondering if I, she I, was. I, we, she didn't call me. I mean, okay. she she all she did was you know back then we finally had cell phones back then, right? So then she yeah. just texted the kids are fine. Uh-huh. I'm with my parents, mm-hmm. and her parents lived in Mansfield. Okay, and that was it. And so, but you know, yes. Yeah, so the highlight is you know, but during that time, that's when I was deep into the book, doing what you know. I didn't even know how to pray, man. I thought I knew how to pray. Yeah, and. My sponsor, it's like, okay, when you pray every morning, he kind of said here, you know, here, here's what you want to say. And, um, the morning, the morning prayer in our book and, but get on your knees. Right. I, was, I thought, I thought he was kidding. Like really? Like <laughs> people get on their knees and pray like, like I, not for me though. Right. Yeah. I was like, really? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you'll get on your knees. Yeah. And I remember doing that, man. And there was something powerful. It still is today. I do it. I do it every morning, every night yeah. I get on my knees now and, there's something powerful and spiritual about I'm just turning it over to God, the humility to being on my knees and asking him for guidance. Mm -hmm. So, so when I did that for the first time, I'm sitting outside in my backyard, you know, the trees. And for some reason, for the first time I felt more at peace than I had in a long, long time. Meaning I didn't know if my wife again, are we getting divorced? I don't know, but that's okay. You know, that was the first time like God, it was like this connection. I just knew. And, and and I didn't share, you know, that morning when I got up, when I was scared, I remember I'd gotten on my knees. And I was like, God, please help me take this obsession of drinking away. And I truly believe he had taken away that day. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, I, I can't explain it, but something was taken away because I haven't had a drink for 10 years. And, and yes, I have to work my program, but there was something that was done that day. But yeah, you know, highlight was how much peace I was at. Yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was losing my job, my business, what I didn't care, man. I was just at peace and it was powerful. Wow. I appreciate that. I appreciate that so much. Uh, what is the value of service work in the program and what ways are you giving back to the newcomer now? Um, yeah. So, you know, I always thought as service work is, man, you gotta, you gotta be a sponsor, sponsor. And I remember my first two, you know, I, I thought I failed, you know, they, they didn't make it through or went back out and, and I was really hard on myself, you know, like, man, maybe I'm not that leader that I thought. And, you know, after talking to um, my sponsor, he's like, man, it's not about you. You're making it all about you. Yeah. It's not. And, and I realized that we're just there to listen and, and share our experiences and guide them of this is what I did. And so I, I didn't really want to take on sponsorship for a long time, but what I did do was I had the opportunity to go to the jail and share meetings. Okay. And that was powerful, man. I mean, the fact going, it was, I remember my first few, I was a little kind of nervous. You know, you're going through these doors, security doors, and you're sitting in this bay and these, you're seeing the other bays of these, these guys, you have no idea why they're there and, you know, tattoos on their faces. I mean, just some hardcore and man, the power of just seeing when we would have those meetings and just the pain, the hurt, man, they all wanted to be sober and just, they, they want to cl- clean up their lives. And the problem was, is when they get out of there, it's like, they just go back to the same routine, you know, but it was powerful for me by doing that service, 
knowing that I get to leave and those guys have to stay and I get to go home to my family. And, uh, you know, now at 10 years, I don't know, man, I feel like I'm hitting kind of that peak. Like, man, I love, I love AA now more than ever. I love meetings and I, I'm sponsoring now. I've, I've got a guy, um, and it's going really good so far, you know, and, and we'll see, but yeah, service work, man. One thing I've learned is if somebody calls, text me, Hey, I need help. I will drop, my wife knows that too. I will drop what I'm doing and be there. Um, you know, just the fact that I'm very open about my sobriety in my community, um, because I think people, they need to know, like, I can't tell you how many dads have reached out to me, like in, you know, from my school, kids' schools and stuff. And they're not always ready. You know, I always, you know, my kind of test uh, question is, all right, well, great, man, let's go to a meeting, you know? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not at that point yet. And <laughs> hey, man, I totally get it. I, you know, and then what I've learned is you can't, you cannot force it on them. They have to want it and be ready. Yeah, it takes a while. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a while to become pr- convinced. I was aware of AA for a long time before I was quote unquote ready to go to a meeting. Right. Um, what do you do uh, when and if the desire to drink or use comes back in the last 10 years during this sobriety run? Have, have you ever had the desire to drink or use? Has that come back to you at all? Man, man I haven't. And, and I think it's because I'm so, you know, with the discipline of my routines every day. I mean, I, I have a routine where... I do my morning routine and I even spend more time now than ever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I do have bad days, man. I've gone through some hard times during my 10 years. I mean, I've lost a lot of money on some business transactions and um, to the point where I owed people money that had invested with me. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I, we, we, we just said, look, we have to pay these people back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went through those tough trials and, and, you know, I, I, during, during my sobriety, I even had a, a gambling addiction, you right. know, is one of those kind of one to replace. And so I figured, oh, I, I was treating it as a business, right. To thinking, oh, it's like investing in the market. So mm-hmm. one thing, but it got to the point it got out of hand and thank God I had this program. You know, I went through a 12 step on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but the, the great thing is I know drinking is not going to solve anything. I mean, those, that day when my wife left me still, I go back, it's still the scariest day, you know, of what I put her through. So, Man, I just haven't, I, I truly, you know, that day when I dropped my knees, it's, it's been removed from me. Now I have to do my, my part, mm-hmm. go to meetings, do my daily routine at, you know, get on my knees in the morning, get on my knees at night, um, uh, talk to other alcoholics, you know, on a constant basis, which I have, uh, you know, this 10 years I just celebrated, man, I had 30 men in my house to do a meeting and we're talking powerful men. Men with long-term sobriety. As a matter of fact, your first guest was in that room, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's the life I have now, man. And it's awesome. That's a a beautiful story of transformation. It's nice that you haven't had any thoughts or cravings during the first 10 years. That'll give a hope to a lot of our listeners. Not everyone has that experience, but thank God that you have. So let's dip back into that. Uh, just touch on it lightly because we've never had this come up on this podcast before. Can we talk about that, uh, the gambling issue that you had a little bit? I guess my only question on that is, did you ever go to any GA meetings, which stands for Gamblers Anonymous? Did you ever hit it like that? I didn't. And and honestly, there's a guy in our group that kind of went through the same thing and had a big, I mean, literally went through the exact same thing. Yeah. And um, I visited with him and yeah. um, I just realized that, uh, it just got out of hand, man. You know, that, 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 that rush you wanted to get and yeah. it just, I wanted that and, and it kind of brought it and, you know, I, 
had one big and thought, ah, I can do this every weekend, right? Yeah. And um, the house always wins. I'll just put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) That's what my dad told me. And let me tell the listener real quick. I used to live in Reno, Nevada. And when I lived in Reno, Nevada, I used to go to the Silver Legacy uh, Casino. And I was a a pretty big time member in the sports book. And uh, I thought that I was smart about gambling. And then I thought I knew what I was doing. And I found out uh, that I am not smart about gambling (laughs) and that I uh, do not know what I'm doing. And uh, the Silver Legacy obviously in Reno, Nevada sports book broke me of my gambling, uh, experiment. And, uh, I kind of quit on that. But, but you know what the gambling did for me too? It also pulled me away from my family. Cause I was so focused on, I got to get these bets in, you know, cause we were so yeah. we were going to church on Sunday morning. And I was trying to get my bets in for the NFL games. Right. Uh-huh. And it literally, it was, you know, it was definitely a kind of a trial. Like, I mean, there's sobriety is great, but that's why we have this program and these tools mm-hmm. because that's what got me through it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, where are you at with your higher power or God today? Man, I'm at a great spot. And um, I absolutely, it's only, you know, it's a, it's it's spiritual progress every day. And I'm at a spot now where, you know, one of the things I share is my morning routines are great, my night routines, but it's during that, during the day where I kind of can lose control, meaning the email you get, the phone call you get, you want to take control you yeah. know, of that. And, um, but now I, on my computer screen, I have a, a little posting that says, remember me. And that's when I look, you know, that email, I, I see that <laughs> and it's just a constant reminder, you know, it's cool. But I, I'd love to share a story though, on that spiritual side that really, I think was a huge, huge turning point. Like God kind of bought me in the head and you know, the story, the ring story. I was, I have that in my notes. I was hoping you were going to tell the ring story. Let's do it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and this is powerful. Um, so my wife and I, when we got married, we went to Hawaii or to Maui for our honeymoon. Mm-hmm. And I guess what year was this? This was four years ago. So in what four years have been 2017. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not right. Yeah. The summer of 2017, 2018. Yeah. It's 2017. Cause we, yeah, it was 10 years. That's right. So t- 10 years of our marriage, um, we got to um, go back to Maui. Mm-hmm. But this time we got to bring my three beautiful children, uh, my two daughters and my son. And man, Maui's a beautiful place if you've never been. And that first day, um, the beach is just, the waves are looking great. I mean, you're a surfer, so you can probably appreciate when the waves look good. Yep. And you know the sand going between your toes. Well, my kids, I mean, man, life is so good. Here I am sober. I'm uh, here in Maui, Hawaii. My kids are out there. So they're, they're boogie board, right? They got their boogie boards. I was like, you know what? I'm going to show them that dad's got it too. Right. So I grabbed a, a boogie board, went out there. And, and when I went out there, cause the kids, they didn't last very long. And now I know why is because there was coral reef all kind of right there, you know, kind of shallow, but I was like, ah, it's, the waves are too good. Let me, let me show them how to do it. Well, I didn't last three minutes out there. I mean, I got all cut up from the coral reef. My shins got all bloodied. So I come back on to the beach and, you know, my kid's like, dad, you're bleeding. You're bleeding. Are you okay? And it's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I've seen blood a few times in my, in my life. So no big deal. Well, probably about 10 minutes go by and I realized on my hand, I didn't have my college class ring from Louisiana state. And this ring has been a part of me. Like it is through my dark times. It's just through the military. It's just, it's a part of me, right? It's, and um, I noticed it was off. So I thought I had taken it off where I went out there. We look in the bag and 
we don't see it anywhere. And, and I just knew right then and there that I had it on when I went out in the ocean and it had come off. Um, and so right then that, you know, this great, here I am in Maui, Hawaii, just turned to dark, like the trip is ruined. I was, I was acting like a little three-year-old having my pity party right in front of my kids, you know, yelling at my wife, just like, why didn't you tell me I had it on, you know, pointing fingers. Right. And, um, you know, telling her like, you don't get it. This rings a part of me and God love my wife. She looks me straight in the eyes and she says, go call your sponsor. (laughs) She literally, she knew. And, and she was right. She's like, you're right. You're right. And so, I went and called my sponsor and um, he picked up and kind of told him what happened. I was like, yeah, I lost my ring. Oh man, you just don't get it. It's been a part of me. He's like, well, first off, the ring can be replaced. And if God wants you to have that ring, you'll get it back. Mm -hmm. And he's real big and always, you know, did you turn over to God? And I was like, Scott, that's the last thing I want to hear right now is God. Mm -hmm. You know, if God wants me to have this ring, I'll get it back. But then he, he kept talking to me kind of off, off the ledge and to the point I was like, you know what? He's right. He's right. Um, the ring can be replaced. But he even went deeper. He's like, man, there's more to this. What's, what's going on, buddy? You know, what, what's really going on? You know, and I was kind of, you know, stressed with work. I had just made this big move and, you know, I was checking emails. You know, the, the time difference was what, like six hours. So I was up early checking emails and just working away. And just that anxiety of stress of work, right? And he just, he said something to this day, just popped me right in the face. And he was like, man, you don't get it. I was like, what do you mean I don't get it? You're at one of the prettiest places in the world with your family, sober, and you're letting this control you. So that's why you have a team. That's why they can take care of it. You just got to let go, man. He said, you know what? You need to be present for your family right now. Because if you don't, you're going to miss out on a lot. And he's like, that's, you know, what he told me was you need to, when we get off this call is you need to email, text your team and say, look, you're checking out. You need to check out. That's why you have them. And guess what? If, if If the ship sinks while you're gone, you can fix it. But guess what? Most of the time your business can run without you. You know, we all think we're nothing can be done without us. And I did for the first time I was like, he's right. And so when I got off that call, I emailed my team said, I am literally not checking emails. Phone is being put away. I didn't even do social media because I'm a big social media guy. Like I didn't post anything, post, you know, pictures of the family here in Hawaii, just put it away. Yeah. And so, and man, Michael, I got to share, you know, that was the first time in my life that I had just literally put work aside and was present with my family and had the best trip of my life. I mean, it was just, I can't even explain it. And, uh, but now let's go back to that ring that I lost, right? Yep. You know, it's, it's been about three days and, you know, my wife, she even said, God, I just, I don't know what it was. I had this dream. I just, I know that ring is out there. And I was like, babe, I've accepted. The ring is gone. I'll replace it when I get back. Well, for some reason, you know, the kids are in the pool. 
and I'm the beaches, you know, I'm on sitting there and my, my son's uh, snorkel mask and snorkel is right there. And it's like, you know how you get that tap on the shoulder mm-hmm. and I got a tap. I, I can't explain it yeah. to like the water was just perfectly still. I was like, man, all right, why not? I'll go out there. So I took the snorkel. I went down to the beach and that area where I was bo- boogie mooring that first day and, mm-hmm. and just kind of floating around. And of course, you know, little waves are kind of coming or, you know, bubbles are coming up. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's going to be a true miracle if this ring pops up and, you know, and the fish are, you see all these beautiful fish. It's like, you know, the fish would have taken that shiny object away. And I was probably out there for about maybe a good five minutes. Well, at that point, my wife saw that I was out there. So she came down and the three kids came down and they were like, did you find the ring? Did you find the ring? And I came back and said, no, I didn't find the ring. But for some reason there was another tap. And there's this book I read called uh, Think and Grow Rich. You ever read it? I've heard of it. No, I have not yeah, read it, but I've heard of it. It's a great, great book on just kind of entrepreneur sales type stuff. But there's a story about a guy, he was digging for gold. And if he would have just gone like three feet more, mm-hmm. he would have, you know, he would have been that hit it, hit it and been the, the billionaire, right? Right. And for some reason I thought, you know what? I'm going to go a little bit further out. Mm-hmm. So I went back out and man, I went out there not even two minutes as I'm kind of just floating around with the snorkel. I make my kind of turn and it's like this shining light moment. The ring is stuck in the coral right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I reached down and grab it. Wow. How deep was it? Yeah. I mean, th- not that deep. I mean, it was probably, you know, like I said, you're kind of floating cause the coral was there. So, I mean, that's why I was kind of floating on top of the coral. So no more than what two feet, if that, you know, <sighs> Yeah, dude. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I even cut my hand grabbing in the coral. You know, I grabbed it so fast. Yeah, you're like, I got to get it now. Come back. I mean, found the ring. I mean, my wife starts crying. The kids are jumping down. I mean, that was a <laughs> spiritual moment right there. Yeah. But, you know, with all that said, what did I learn from that? You know, um, you, know you talk about spiritual moments, but uh, that was true. God right there was showing me that he gives and takes. God gives and takes. Meaning if he wouldn't have taken that ring that first day, mm-hmm. that trip would have been just another trip where I was working the whole time, not present with the kids and probably would have gotten in arguments because I was working and not, you know, out there on the beach. And because I trusted, had faith and just let it go and said, you know what? You're right. I was present with my family. Again, it was the best trip I ever had. The best experience of actually for the first time not working on vacation. God gave it back. And so when I came back up, I text my sponsor, Sky. I said, oh, well, I guess God wanted me to have that ring after all. And he, he was just like, what do you mean? I was like, I found the ring in the ocean. And of course, he's being all cool, like, yep. But yeah. then he's like, he calls like, <laughs> wow. He's like, I told you. Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. But you know, detail even. So man, that's, that just shows you, man. It's so powerful what God can do. I mean, dude, that's the Pacific ocean. Yeah. In three Hawaii. days in yeah. Hawaii. With mo- waves that are moving stuff around and high tide, low tide, high tide, low tide. I just wish I would have some kind of magical power would have come back with that ring, but that didn't happen. That's awesome. So <laughs> listener, if you ever come across my buddy GP here in person, look on his hand and you will see the ring here is talking about that is so cool how is your meditation life and what styles and forms do you use 
Yeah. So meditation, when I first heard of it, I thought, you know, those are all the kind of those too spiritual, like those, you know, that just wasn't my thing, you know, back in the day. And man, it is what has, has saved my life. I, it's, it's my favorite part of the day. And, and so I love my quiet time. I, I love my mornings. And, and I, I was already an early riser um, due to probably the military because we were, we were up the crack of dawn. But the mornings, that's my time. You know, that's my time with uh, uh, my God. And, and and so, you know, I even have a, a separate like Zen little garden that I go outside to with the the water running, whatever it might be. And man, it, it's as easy as just sitting there quietly for, for a minute. Um, if, it, if you have to, just to kind of get, get quiet and I do it every morning, man. And what's great nowadays is that there's really not an excuse why you can't meditate. And what I mean by that is there's so many tools out there with apps. You know, I, I first started off with Calm, which was great. A is great that the app. name of an app? Yeah, Calm, oh, okay. C-A-L-M. And because it's literally somebody talking you through, I mean, you can do it for one minute to um, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you want. And I started off with that because man, it, it was hard. I'm not gonna lie. It's like anything. What I tell people is it's like when you go work out, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just go right in and think by one workout, you're going to have big muscles and, and hit your max. I mean, you, you build up to that mm-hmm. and that's what meditation is. You know, if that means start off with 30 seconds um, to build up to a minute, whatever it might be. But once you get that, it's, it's powerful. And, you know, I used to spend anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes you know, in the morning with my meditation, my quiet time, reading, you know, any type of um, uh, affirmations or devotionals, whatever it might be, man, I'm spending almost up to 45 minutes to an hour now because it is so important. Um, you know, one of the big things I read too every morning and my sponsor gave it to me after my first year of sobriety is it's called Jesus Calling mm-hmm. and it's by Sarah Young and I had the book, but now they've made it more convenient. I've got the app. You know, and some people probably disagree like, oh, you should put your phone away, which I get that, but I put it on the do not disturb. So I'm not getting buzz and uh, I use my app. It's all right there. Um, so I can just walk outside and get my glass, glass of water. So, so one of the first things I tell people to do that's important. And I know this is not really, but I, my routine is when I get up and I read this in Miracle Morning, it has nothing to do with AA, but it's a great routine to have that Miracle Morning. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important is the first thing you need to do is drink a big glass of water because your body's already dehydrated. You don't think about that by sleeping, but it is dehydrated. And then go brush your teeth. (laughs) I mean, there's something about having that refresh, you know, mouth and and really to get your, even though, even though you're probably gonna go make a cup of coffee still go brush your teeth. I'm telling you, there's something powerful about that. Not having that, that funky morning breath. Right. Okay. And then I go, then I just, I get my, my, my books or now I have things on my app and I, I go outside or I, I have a, a special place for my quiet time. I think it's important that you have a somewhere to go where you're not going to be disturbed. And, and my kids know, my wife knows, Hey, he's on his own mm-hmm. or don't bother me during that time. Obviously they're not up. And then, you know, I do that and I, and I go work out. And mm-hmm. so it's just, it's, it's very just, it's kind of just how to get my day going. And then, uh, you know, at nighttime I'll, I always pray, you know, get on my knees and, and just kind of spend a minute on my knees of, 
of my, you know, any character defects that I had that day to, to, to pray about and, um, just kind of sit there. But man, there's something powerful about that quietness. And, and, you know, we talked earlier about during, I lose side of that during the day I get caught up in my activities working Mm -hmm. and by putting that remember me I'll take that deep breath and you know I'll say the simple thing the serenity prayer and if you don't know the serenity prayer go look it up or we can put it in the comments because it's it's powerful and it's so easy that's fantastic do you have a dog do you own a dog do I have a what? A dog? A, a pet? Do I have a pet? We, I have two dogs, yes. Do they, go, do, do they go out in the morning with you and assist you in your meditation? They don't. They are, they are, uh, uh, they're, what are they, Mom, mama dogs. You know, they, they love, like, even if I open the gate, they're going to go run up to, to, to uh, my mm-hmm. wife. So, yeah. Um, they see you heading outside. They're like, we're going upstairs to the bedroom. Yeah, no. Yeah, they just stay in their bed. They don't, they don't come out and join me. So, it's yeah. just, it's just me, myself, and I. Okay. I've got a little two year old golden retriever named Bali, B A L I. And Bali is my uh, meditation assistant. And she runs out in the backyard with me in the morning and does, uh, does my meditation time with me and she's always so excited to uh, to see me awake in the morning it's fun to see a little happy happy golden retriever first thing in the morning so that's awesome i do love that do you have any aa heroes or mentors who are super important to you and why yeah my sponsor um he literally he saved my life you know he uh he took me under his wing and and just walked me through this whole process of uh of sobriety and and going through those steps so he truly is my uh, my ears, he, he played, I mean, he, he, he plays a huge special part. I mean, he, he saved my life, you know, because I finally did it, read the book and went through the steps. That's awesome. I appreciate that. What has been the toughest challenge in your sobriety and how did the 12 steps help you deal with it? You know, the toughest challenge is, you know, growing up, I felt like I was a pretty cool kid. <laughs> okay. And now that, you know, I don't drink, you know, my wife and I, and we've accepted this, but at first it was hard that we didn't get invited to like a lot of the, the cool parent events. Right. Yeah. Cause we don't drink. She doesn't drink either. She's my wife. To it. Yeah. My wife doesn't drink. And that's just by for choice. What, that's about to say for what reasons, spiritual reasons, health reasons, don't want to do it. Reasons. She just doesn't literally in simple terms. She doesn't like the taste of alcohol. I don't either, man, but I drank so much of it, dude. Yeah. Literally, she was that person. We'd go out. She'd ordered the one glass, you know, out the just to hold it, just so she didn't look antisocial, you know. Okay, but um, but she went all in with me. She's like, "Look, I don't drink, and that's why we're we're such a powerful uh, couple item." Yeah, I mean, because I mean, she 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 went all in with me. Okay, you know, but yeah. So to go back though, so we didn't. Um, and that was hard, man. My ego. Yeah. You know, not getting invited and and not just. It just, it was hard. Like, man, we're not part of the cool kid clang anymore. You know, if you want to call it that, if you know what I mean, it's just those, but I get it because I was that same way. Mm -hmm. If you didn't drink, I mean, I don't, don't waste my time. I don't want you around me. You're no fun. Yeah. And I totally get that. Yeah. And I know there's times when, um, some of those, you know, men, those dads, they've reached out to me and, and we see it. So my point sharing that is like, I am at peace with that because I have a program. It's okay. Now it's like, I'm, I'm happy for them. Like, man, I hope they had a great time, you know? And, yeah. and it's, it's interesting though now, now, cause they probably don't know how to act around me either. Cause they know I don't drink. And so they're like, Oh, you know, and I get it. And, um, you know, I've shared with them, please do not change the way you act. Mm-hmm. I have my program meaning. One thing I've learned is always take your car no matter where you go. Cause guess what? You can leave whenever you want. 
Exactly. Um, First time I heard that tip giving in a meeting, I was like, somebody's a genius for thinking of that. Yeah. I never thought about that. Well, now they made it easier though because you got Uber. Yeah. <laughs> back then, you know, it wasn't as easy. Back then, we didn't even have cell phones really, you know, kind of yeah. not yet. But um, yeah, so that was, you know, with the program, it's really helped me to be at peace with that, you know, to, to it was an ego thing. And now it's more, it's like, that's awesome. Looks like everybody had a great time, mm-hmm. you know? Right on. Do you have any complaints about AA uh, or think any parts of it should be changed or altered? Ooh, uh, no, I don't have that kind of power. That, that's, that's a big question to ask. It is a big, you're, you're, well, dude, some people will go off on that for an hour. You're setting me up. Nah, no, man. I mean, I'm setting you up to either answer it or not. Answer yeah, it. no, it, it, you know what? I, the program has been around for how long, right? How many lives has it saved around the world? Uh-huh. Um, no. Yeah. Okay. The reason why if people complain about it's because they're not working the program properly. Yeah. I'm going to keep answering that question until somebody answers it. <laughs> At some point, somebody's going to be like, you're, well, some you're, you're good like, long-term sobriety. They, they, uh, yeah. 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 I figure somebody might be like, yeah, I got a few ideas, brother. <laughs> <laughs> what about this? All right. Have you ever heard something? This is one of my favorite questions. Have you ever heard something uh, said in a discussion meeting or a speaker meeting that went off in your ears like a truth bomb, something so profound that you grabbed your phone and took a note or memorized it immediately? What was it? Oh gosh. I mean, almost every meeting there's, there's like gold. Like I tell people, you know, there's this one guy that, um, he's sober, but he won't come to meetings and it's just, that's not his thing. And I've tried to share with them. Like if you would come, I love the Monday meetings where I go the noon Monday meetings. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like there's just so much gold just drop. I mean, there's certain people that I love that share. They just, I mean, I don't, I'm one of those, like I'll take my phone and, and, and write down some stuff, you know, um, that, Oh, that was good. I got to remember that. Cause I love quotes. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any top of my head. Um, one thing that did stand out though for early sobriety, cause I'm one of those, like, you've got to keep it simple, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keep it simple. And steps one, two, and three. Step one, meaning I can't, Step two, meaning he can, mm-hmm. meaning God. Yep. And step three is let him. Right on. I, uh, I have an Apple iPhone 12 Pro Max Plus, and I'm very proud of that phone and excited to own it. And within that phone, there's an app called the Notes app, N-O-T-E-S. Mm-hmm. And so... I always grab my phone and go to the notes app when I hear somebody say something what I would consider profound in a meeting. And I've got tons and tons of quotes in here. And they're not necessarily found in the literature or on signage that you would necessarily see on walls or just things that hit me like a truth bomb. And I quickly grab my phone and I write them down. So I've got bunches and bunches of them in here. So I want to share one of them with you. Um, And it goes like this. Normal people change their behavior to meet their goals. Alcoholics change their goals to meet their behaviors. Mm. (laughs) We don't have to expound on that too much or even talk about it, but I just wanted to read that. I'll hit it one more time. Normal people change their behavior to meet their goals. Alcoholics change their goals to meet their behavior. Okay, so let's go back to the list of questions here. Why is going to meetings so important? Well, first off, I, I didn't like going to meetings, really? you know, I was like, oh, I'm nothing like these people, you know, and it's amazing. Again, that's the ego and, and everything else, but I absolutely love meetings now. Um, 
and the reason why I think, I mean, you just gave a perfect example. I mean, the, the, the stuff that's said in those meetings and what's really cool is like when it's somebody you see, like, let's say, I mean, like somebody that's been homeless, right? Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Like amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah. When they share something. And Scott. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it, that, that share something at that point in time. It's like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. there was a meeting. I think the guy had been living on the streets in Canada and his share was so powerful, but I, I share that because I go in there. It's my medicine now, mm-hmm. you know, meetings are my medicine. I, I leave there. If I'm having a bad morning, cause I usually go to the noon meeting and the reason I don't go to evening meetings cause I want to be with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I might be having a bad morning and I guarantee you every time I go to an AA meeting at lunchtime and leave there, mm-hmm. my day is great. Yeah. It changes your perspective, right? Yep. Yep. Really There's something you. powerful. And then you have to go in with an open mind. Cause I get it. I, I was there, just didn't want to be there. I sat there with my arms crossed. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you people suck. <laughs> and, uh, that is not the case. And now, but hence, that's why the, the, the friendships I've met now, you know, you go in and it's kind of cool when people are coming up to me now, cause I still feel like I'm, I'm so young at this. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, asking me for input advice, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, perfect example is the men that were, you know, here for my 10 year sobriety, you know, yeah. those 30 men, those weren't, those were just, it was a powerful, powerful group. And so it's, I'm honored. So yeah, the, the, it's my medicine. You want to keep it simple. That's my medicine. I got to have it. Uh, I try to go to at least, I go to two meetings a week. I go on Monday to start my week and I go on Fridays to end my week. Okay. That's fantastic. I appreciate that. I wanted to talk to you about something, a new question that's on the docket here. I was uh, doing some prayer and meditation this morning and this question just popped into my mind. So you're going to be the first one to answer this. Do you have any thoughts on the AA saying that most of us do not know how sick we are when we get here? This is usually said in reference to the newcomer who is just starting their recovery journey. Looking back in hindsight, did this saying apply to you? Well, I didn't think I was sick. <laughs> then it does apply to you. Yeah. I mean, I, I again, I thought I was just here to, you know, show me how to fix all of the bad consequences that I've put in people's lives. Oh, my God. I totally felt the same way. Here's what I thought when I came into recovery. I've come into recovery two times, once in 1989 and once in the year 2000. Uh, two totally different approaches. And I'll just talk about my first approach with Alcoholics Anonymous in 1989. I came in and I was like... Dude, I got a pretty bad drug problem, but I, I don't think I have an alcohol problem. I'm not, I'm a pretty good dude. I'm a nice guy. I'm pretty smart. I, I got, you know, I've got a girlfriend. I got a decent job. My prospects look good. I just, uh, I just got a little alcohol and a little drug problem. If I can just tamp that down and get that under control, I'll be fine. And then fast forward to my second approach to Alcoholics Anonymous in 2000. And I realized I was kind of a train wreck in every area of my life and that I really needed to um, take a look at it and uh, avail myself of the help of the 12-step group. But even then, in in my sickness that I showed up in 2000, I still wasn't aware how fully sick I was. And I think that that takes uh, a combination of two things to to diagnose that. One would be time, the passage of time, and also hindsight. You need to put some time together. You need to get some traction. You need to move down the road to sobriety and then look back over your shoulder in hindsight. And you can see where you are now and where you were then and how far you've come and how far you need to go. And you can kind of say to yourself, that we, most of us, when we arrive in sobriety, we have no idea how sick we are. So I appreciate you answering that question. Can you give me an example of one of the promises coming true in your life? You've got a printout of them right there in front of you. Can you give me an example of one of those coming true in your life? Yeah, I love the one that says, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. 
And how does that play out in your life via sponsorship or just own mental evaluation of your own self? Yeah. I, I, you know, from sponsorship to just, I know people are watching, (laughs) you know, and, and, I, I think, um, and I'm very open where, you know, that dark moment, that morning I woke up that morning with my, in, in an empty, quiet house mm-hmm. was the best thing that ever happened. Cause if my wife would not have had the courage and faith to leave that day, yeah, we wouldn't probably be sitting here right now. That's terrifying. Just thinking about you laying in that bed and, you know, waking up or becoming conscious again, mm-hmm. it's, it's scary to think what your prospects in your life looked like at that point. Yeah. But that was your jumping off point. And I'm glad, I'm glad you shared that with our listeners. Do you have a favorite passage in the AA big book? And can you share it with us? You can uh, just generalize it or you can read it, whatever you want to do, but we're looking for a, a favorite passage that you have from the AA big book or the 12 and 12, any, anything that, that stands out to you that you'd like to share with us? You know, I, I love um, the one that just keeps it real simple is thy will be done. Okay. Cause there, I was at a meeting and, um, uh, well, actually my sponsor shared it and another guy shared that every time before they made a phone call or if a phone call was coming in, mm-hmm. they would always say, thy will be done. It takes a lot of pressure off of you. Yeah. And that just has always stuck. And I just, I, I, I love that. And then I remember when I first heard it, I would have to go back to this guy said, okay, what is it? Where is it again in the book? And and what is thy will be done? Mm-hmm. He's like, yep, that easy, man. It's at the end of the serenity prayer. Yep. Uh, are you currently struggling with something uh, right now in your life uh, that the program has been able to help you with? Anything going on with you right now that the program has been able to, to help you with struggling wise? Yeah. So, you know, I'm in pretty of a, High, high stress business. Um, and you know, I had an incident that I uh, kind of got blindsided by mm-hmm. that just did not see it coming. And I thought, you know, if I didn't have this program again, I would have thought my world is over. I have failed. Mm-hmm. What happened? Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have seen it as it was a total spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. God has another plan for me, a much bigger plan. And so because of this program, I've realized that. And now I'm excited. It's obviously I'm a little, you know, it's always nerve wracking of of what I'm about to do in my career, but it's also exciting. It's a need. Mm -hmm. And um, again, I just, I I give so much just props and, and, and glory to, uh, this program because um, it gave me clarity of, of, okay, God, this is what you want me to do. And, and you forced me out on this one situation to, to, to take on this, this uh, next journey. So, yeah. Okay. That's beautiful. All right. I got another new question for you. Like I said, I was in prayer and meditation before you came over and this, this is a new question that came up to me. It says, uh, let's talk about long-term recovery. And I consider you having long-term recovery at 10 plus years. Can you give us an example of a part of your life that you view differently now that you have 10 plus years sober? Is there anything that you basically, do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, there's so much, I mean, just how I could see, you know, one of the things is like comparing myself with my competitors, right? Like, man, you know, I need to, that, that competitiveness in me, you know, or not getting that deal, mm-hmm. you know, I, it would like, like if I didn't get the deal, it'd ruin, ruin me for the day, for the, for the week, whatever it might be. Yeah. Man, now it's like no problem. It wasn't meant to be, you know? And, um, 
I'm at peace. Okay. It's, it's, it's crazy how I'm at peace now. I, I don't get so worked up anymore. You've got tools to matriculate through the emotions of bad news or good news quicker. hundred percent. Stay more on center. Yeah. Stay more stable. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a gift of, of long-term sobriety. Yeah. Can you explain what it feels like to be forgiven by your higher power for your past? Have you reached that point yet? I mean. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm not ashamed of, um, of the person I was in the past. Um, because that's where it's, it's, it's made me who I am today. Um, and I know, you know, my God, he has forgiven me. That's the one thing when we went through, um, the steps with my sponsor and, um, he's like, you're forgiven brother. God forgives you, man. Yeah. After and I you did the fifth, the fifth step. step. Yeah, yeah. After the fifth step. You're and clean. it's like, and, and you are, and there were things that, um, I t- told myself I would take take to the grave. Nobody's going <laughs> to know about this ever, you know? Yeah. And did you write them down on your four step or did you kind of hold those? I held it at first. Yeah. And then it's like, <laughs> it's like your sponsor's like this mind reader. Like, how does he know? Yeah. Cause guess what? He's experienced pretty much the same stuff. And he came out and, um, actually I did write four step cause before I started four step peak, that's first I said, look, when you do your four step, there's going to be certain things you're probably going to hold back on. Mm-hmm. And he gave like these highlights of, you know, yeah. I did this, this, and this. Yeah. And out of those three, one of mine was like that. I'm never going to share. Okay. I was like, holy crap. Wow. So I did write down, but I, I still was hesitant. Mm-hmm. And then we got to the end and you know, it's one of those like, all right, okay. Is that everything? <laughs> and he knew. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is one more thing. This is one little thing. <laughs> and man, powerful. Yeah. Powerful. Did you, uh, I, I will say, I will answer affirmatively and in the form of yes to this question. I'm curious what your answer is. Did you, did you cry during your fifth step? Oh I, yeah. I did. Dude. Oh dude. <laughs> Cried like a baby. And and I love it now. Yeah. It was me too. shared at a meeting and, and actually yeah. it was Scott that, you know, cause if you saw Scott, he's that big burly guy, you know, give, you know I mean, that guy that walks in, I mean, he's six, four mm-hmm. and just that manly man that just can, that dude doesn't cry and mm-hmm. he's the biggest baby now it seems like and yeah. he's opened up about that that it's good to cry mm-hmm. and i'm still i've gotten a lot better you know but i still i call it my sensitive side and um i'm yeah. starting to express my sensitive side a lot more of, of it's okay to cry yeah it's I, healthy i broke down during my fifth step and i had uh just a full release of, of all my fears all my resentments uh, my sexual conduct and misconduct over the years previous and it was like a full uh rebirth and just flushing of my old life and it was just so weird to tell another person all that stuff and yes i did cry so scott has been mentioned now in episode two now he's been mentioned on episode three so you we'll got to get him. Yeah, we'll see if we can get him in here one of these days. Or you, you'll be able to. He he, he did one for me. Uh, just uh, during the pandemic, I was doing like Zoom calls, and uh-huh. we wouldn't live because I felt like, you know, during this the pandemic, mm-hmm. I I felt like I was prepared for it mm-hmm. because of the steps. Like I wasn't all freaking out and and um, didn't know what was going to happen, but I was at total peace. You know why? Because I had my sobriety. Mm-hmm. I had my 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 God, and I had my family. That's beautiful tools to get through the pandemic. Can you, I love this question. Can you tell me about your best day sober? What did that day look like? Man, well, (laughs) 
my best day sober, I would say, is probably when I celebrated 10 years this year on Father's Day. I was able to get up on a Sunday morning, go, go to church with my, my beautiful family. And, uh, you know, my kids are at the age now that they're 12, 10, and 8. Mm-hmm. So now they're starting to kind of get more that daddy doesn't drink. Mm-hmm. And guess what? They're never going to see me drink. And that's what's so cool. And um, man, 10 years was just, a, it was a huge special day for me, you know? Um, and just my wife is, she is such, um, she's just, she's such a strong, my soulmate and just a strong, strong person. And so, um, I mean, there's so many just moments, you know, like being present with my family, you know, like, I'm able to, to be, I, I put family first. That's kind of my saying now, family first, meaning with my work, I, I'm going to take off and be at my kids' events, sporting events, dance recital. I'm going to go pick them up at practice. I'm going to participate in their practices. Those are, I mean, not every day is a great day when I get to do that mm-hmm. because I, you know, I, I just, I love my family. I just being present. I, and that's another thing I said, I'm present now. And that's just awesome. What's beautiful for you and your children and the, the generations that are going to be coming after you. Um, so we're down to the last couple of questions. Uh, second to last question, any parting words or thoughts that you want to leave our listeners with? Oh man, there's, there's so, so much. I think you said earlier, and I think the biggest thing, there is hope, you know, um, I remember, you know, the, the, that, that day when I thought my life was over and you know, what's going to happen next. And, I took the right step and, and, and went back to a meeting and, and found the right people. And, and AA has saved my life. And, and, you know, you hear all these treatment centers where people are going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars, 10,000, 20,000, or what is it? I think somebody said, you said it on a thousand dollars a day, right? Yeah. It's around a thousand dollars a day, uh, 30,000 for a month. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's about the price. Tag. And the reason why I share that is AA, I mean, it costs now, what three dollars if if you want to give it you don't even have to give the three dollars if you don't want to, but it's a program and most of these people that come out of these um, programs they're, they're going to tell them go to meetings right mm-hmm. and I've done I never went to rehab I went to outpatient programs but looking back is that what saved my life is you know AA and I'm a huge advocate of it now um, and that uh, but the key is you you you've, you've got to want it. You can't go through the motions because I did. I went through the motions and it only got worse. And so you'll know, you know, you'll know. And, and and I can tell you, you will have a life beyond your wildest dreams. I didn't think I could live life sober. I thought everything had to be involved around with drinking and it's not. I mean, my life is awesome and um, I'm just grateful for it. I'm grateful for the program. I'm grateful for you, Michael, for doing this to, to get the word out. And, um, man, just know there is hope. You can have a life that, uh, I never thought I could have. And it's only getting better every, every year. That's beautiful. What a blessing. What a blessing. You talked about uh, a dollar amount there a couple minutes ago. For the people who have never been to an AA meeting, we're self-supporting through our own contributions. And that means what that looks like is a lot of times at meetings, we will do something uh, which is called pass the basket. And it's usually these little wicker baskets that you see at the you know, home improvement stores or whatever. So we have these little wicker baskets and 
we usually pass them around, uh, kind of like old school passing the hat. And you can either throw in some money or not. It's up to you. You can put in $0, $1, $2, $3. I saw somebody chunk a $100 bill in there mm-hmm. one time. I was very impressed with that. And that money is used for uh, paying rent and the utility bills and the coffee bills because a lot of people drink coffee at these AA meetings. And so we use that money uh, to support our expenses. And then if there's any leftover, we donate the rest to the local GSO, which is a general service office at the local level. And then there's also a central office in New York where a lot of groups, most groups will attempt to send uh, money every quarter to support us at a national level. So that's kind of how the financial breakdown of that uh, part of the program works. I wanted to give GP an opportunity to give his contact information because he's got a pretty big uh, social media presence and uh, he's he's willing to interact with people. So I'll turn it back over to him and let him give some of his contact information. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Michael. Um, yeah, you can, you can email me for one. It's real easy. It's my first name and last name. So that's GP Terrio and that's spelled G as in golf, P as in papa, and then Terrio spelled T as in tango, H as in hotel, E as in echo, R as in Romeo, I as in India, O as in Oscar, T as in tango. So GP Terrio at gmail.com. Okay. Do you want to talk about your social media presence? Yeah. So you can find me on social media. Um, I'm on all three main platforms, uh, Facebook, gp.terio, T-H-E-R-I-O-T. So gp.terio. And then Instagram, I'm the same as gp.terio at gp. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, got a good presence there, but you'll see a lot of good content on um, my Facebook. And it's just You'll see everything, man, from who I, you'll get to know, you'll know who I am from family to work to motivational, all sorts of great stuff. Well, that's really, really awesome. I really appreciate you joining us today. That was a blessing to our listeners and a blessing to me. So thank you so much for joining us, man. Well, thank you, Michael. And thank you for what you're doing. I think this is great. People need this. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. We're doing it, uh, putting it out there and producing this to help people. I want to encourage people to visit our website, SoberShares.com. If you want to reach out to me, it's Mike at SoberShares.com for an email. Uh, Within that email, you can send me whatever you want to know, questions for future guests, any kind of feedback, any kind of constructive criticism on uh, what we're doing here and suggestions for what we should do. Like I said, this is only our third episode, so I want to read something here. Uh, from page 164 of the Big Books of Alcoholics Anonymous, and then we'll close. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. So see to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road to happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Bye for now.